when there's no more room in hell. The dead will start a podcast. everybody welcome to no more room in hell number 48 this is mike and joining me as always it's mr venom what's up venom how are you doing greetings and salutations facial surgery fans or should i say plastic surgery i think i'm gonna go with plastic surgery fans yeah i'm doing pretty damn good mike how the hell you been doing well we're getting into a spooky season now and the heat wave and at least in northern california seems to be over with we're we're actually like in the low 70s. It rained a little bit today. So, you know, in a, in a matter of two weeks, it went from like 109 to the 70s. So can't complain there. Perfect timing, too. I'm going to Disneyland Tuesday and I was I was terrified I was going to have to deal with 100 degree weather. But it's looking like it's going to be a nice mild day. It's a Tuesday at Disneyland in September, so it should be fairly dead. I'm excited. <laughs> Hell, yeah. Uh, I, that, I'm thinking like when we plan our trip down there, it, we're going to like planet so the days we're at disneyland are in the week just to maybe cut down on some of the business yeah. like you know monday tuesday wednesday something like that and then post labor parks, day yeah post labor day is awesome for 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 theme parks in california post labor day is great because obviously you're going to avoid most of the summer crowds uh it's also going to be mostly locals because you know vacation most people aren't vacationing in, in september october so yeah I, I try to avoid that kind of stuff in the summer because it's just tourist trap hell. But uh, during the off season, I do enjoy it. So. And they've already converted over to their like Halloween party or whatever they call it at Disneyland, right? Uh, downtown Disney has. I don't know if Disneyland itself has. I can only assume. I mean, you know, as soon as I walk in, in, in there Tuesday, I'm going straight to Haunted Mansion just to see if there was like any Halloween updates or anything. <laughs> hell Yeah. I love the Haunted Mansion. I still make sure to get on it every time. Yep. All right. Also joining us, it's Derek. What's up, Derek? How are you? It's, I'm great, Michael. How are you today? Like, <laughs> I can't wait to talk about this, this Billy Idol video. I don't know why somebody wanted us to review a Billy Idol music video. <laughs> One of his greatest hits. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Probably. Um, okay, well, uh, I guess we can uh, get right into our opening of the show, which is uh, catching up on what we watched. Uh, it's been a long time since recorded, so we're not going to probably talk about everything we've watched since then, but we've got a few things, I'm sure, each of us. So, Venom, I'll start with you. Uh, what do you got up first? All right. Well, the first movie I'm going to talk about today is not a new movie. This is actually an older film from the 70s. This is actually going to be a follow-up review, and this follow-up review comes to you courtesy of Mr. Derek B. Let me go ahead and set up the story. Recently, I was on the podcast Under the Stairs. Um, Derek and I were on The Sixes, which, of course, included 1976, 86, 96, and 2006. On the 1976 episode, there was a movie on there that I had never seen before called Who Can Kill a Child? 
I'd always heard great things about the film. It just, I never got a chance to see it. So I watched it for the episode of the summer series for the podcast under the stairs. And unfortunately I, I found the only like version of it that I could find was just terrible. Just film rips and bad audio, <clears throat> no subtitles whatsoever, which isn't a problem because this is a Spanish film. Uh, for those who don't know, I am Spanish, so I, I understood everything fine, except what I couldn't hear. The audio dub on the version of the film that I watched was so goddamn bad, I couldn't even pick up what some of the Spanish actors were saying. Even with my volume, and I've got a Sony Atmos system here, I, with my volume cranked up, I couldn't tell what these people were saying. And it was frustrating. And unfortunately, it affected my review on the summer series. I, I, I didn't say the movie was garbage, but I tried to give it as objective of a review as I could while still making it very plainly obvious that I did not enjoy my viewing experience. So, so what happens about a week after we record that episode? I look in my mail. Lo and behold, there is a freshly brand new sealed Blu-ray of Who Can Kill a Child in my mailbox from our friend, Mr. Derek B. Thank you once again, Derek, for the 10th time. Uh, that was uh, that was really good. So anyway, my follow-up review now is yes, I do actually enjoy this movie. Once Once I can see everything on screen, once I can hear everything, um, I did my, my overall rating of the film did go up. I had a much better viewing experience with it this time. Um, unfortunately, I'm not going to I'm not going to say that it's a classic like some people say, because unfortunately, for those who haven't seen it, it's very much a Night of the Living Dead ripoff. But instead of zombies, it's kids. It's basically an island full of kids. Um, this movie is very much, I would say, Anthropophagus meets Night of the Living. Uh, yeah, meets Night of the Living Dead. Even the ending, the ending of Who Can Kill a Child is incredibly reminiscent of Night of the Living Dead. So once I put that connection together, I kind of I don't want to say I lost interest in the movie. But, you know, the the fact that it wasn't an ultra original story did kind of, you know, hinder my rating a little bit. But ultimately, I did want to come back uh, and do the follow up, uh, the follow up review and say that, yes, I did enjoy it a lot more. And um, once again, just thank you, Derek, for that, because it, it definitely takes a movie that I just had a bad experience with. And now I own it on like a nice, beautiful Blu-ray. And, you know, the experience is a lot better. Like this is definitely a movie I'll revisit. So, um, Derek, why don't you chime in on uh, who can kill a child? Revenge. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I agree with you that some of the like, story, even if that's with all movies like one of the movies we're going to talk about today. That's my main complaint about it. But, uh, but uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting that aspect where, yeah, like if you watch like a shitty rip or something, yeah, I could just stand your, yeah, I get that all the time. Especially like prepping for like year series for like 22 shots. It was like finding like these garbage TV films that looked like they were recorded off like seven VHSs. You know, it's, like, terrible out there sometimes for watching movies. Yep. Mike, have you ever seen Who Can Kill a Child? I don't think so, but it's, like, I, I don't think so based on a title, but what you're describing definitely sounds like something I should see, because it sounds interesting. I, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I was uh, just going to say, you probably recognize it's a, Remake more come out and play. That's actually a remake of the movie. 
Oh, really? Okay. That makes yeah. sense. The movie definitely has like an anthropophagous feel at the beginning in the sense that there are two foreigners who, you know, are they're strangers in a strange mm-hmm. land. They end up going to an island. The island ends up being uninhabited, or at least they think it's uninhabited. And then the movie kind of goes from there. So the, the, the beginning of it kind of has the feel of anthropophagus. Not that there's anybody eating their own intestines in this movie, not by any stretch. Um, but once we actually get the first altercation with, with one of the children in the town, it solidly turns into Night of the Living Dead for pretty much the duration of the film. And like I said, it's not necessarily a bad thing. This is 1976, so it's what? eight years after the release of the original uh, Night of the Living Dead. So it's, you know, it's not like it's a, it's not an egregious ripoff by any stretch. Not like, you know, Mondo Cannibal or some of those other movies that are incredibly blatant ripoffs. This one definitely does feel more like an homage, like a loving homage. You know, it, it doesn't feel like they were, ju- it doesn't feel like a cash grab, I guess is the main thing I'm going for. Like there's actually artistic value here. There's some good performances um, we see a pregnant woman die in a way that I've never, ever seen before or even fathomed. And I really enjoyed that scene. So, uh, yeah, overall, yeah. I do recommend this movie, you know, whether you're a fan of crazy kids or not. And one of the most gratifying scenes in this whole movie, folks, if you've been listening to me for a long time, you know that I have no problem with killing kids on screen. No problem whatsoever. This movie has a scene where our antagonist mows down a gang of kids with a goddamn Uzi. I literally stood up in my cover of the Blu-ray too. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, that is the cover <laughs> of the movie. I, I, folks, when that scene occurred, I literally stood up in my living room and applauded. When a, when a movie doesn't have the fear of killing a child on screen, I th- those are some of my favorite movies. Not to say that I hate children and want to see the harm come to them, not by any stretch, but. Crazy kids like this? Yeah, absolutely. And maybe one particular kid in one of the movies that we're going to talk about today, <clears throat> I, w- I wouldn't mind seeing him get a few comeuppance, but you know that's a discussion for a little bit later. But yeah, Who Can Kill a Child, 1976, written and directed by Narcisco uh, Ibanez Cerardo. Yeah, it's, wow. It's sitting at 7.2 on IMDb. That's it's a solid movie. It really is. I, I, kind of, I feel bad that I gave it the review I gave it on... Uh, podcast under the stairs. I tried to be as objective as possible, and I tried to constantly, you know, caveat the conversation with, I didn't enjoy this experience, and unfortunately, a bad viewing experience is going to affect the rating of the movie. You know, I mean, if you watched, you know, no matter how good a movie is, if you watch the original Night of the Living Dead on a, uh, not Night of the Living Dead, excuse me, Nightmare on Elm Street, let's go with that one. If you watch the original Nightmare on Elm Street for the first time on a VHS tape that's been played 13,000 times, the audio is warbly, there's video glitches all throughout it, it's going to affect your experience. So I am very happy that uh, Derek uh, made sure that I had a good experience watching this movie. So yeah, who can kill a child? Go out and watch it if you haven't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to try getting a copy because it actually kind of looks interesting and good to me. So I'm like, shit, yeah. I need to find it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the director's other movie is fucking awesome, too. He did The House That Scream, which is actually yep. the movie that kind of influenced Asperia. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Nice. Pretty good. All right, Derek, what do you got up first? Well, uh, I was catching up with. A horror anthology that I've been wanting to check out for a while, but yeah, I know I could have just watched this on Shutter every day, but I finally did, and that's VHS 94. 
And uh, yeah, you know, like after like the last few VHS, especially like viral, I kind of like died inside. <laughs> but you know, I think everybody did at that point. But uh, yeah, I was excited. I just hadn't. It takes me a while to stream a lot of stuff because there's always so much streaming. So I never got a chance to watch this until recently. And man, there's a lot of good like practical effects shit going on in this movie that you know I was like the first story. I love that kind of setup where it's like a news report and like going into the sewers and there's like a fucking ratma god. <laughs> ratma. Kill ratma. <laughs> I follow ratma on on Twitter. <laughs> I want to pet him. Right? <laughs> Don't let him spit yeah. on you. Yeah. He's got the Laposaurus spit. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that, you know, it's pretty fun. And, you know, it goes into, like, this weird one with, like, a funeral home, which was kind of creepy, kind of atmospheric, good stuff. Then, I don't know, where it turns into a tie splatter movie with mm-hmm. robot-human hybrids killing random muck. Kind of has like a Doom prosthetic too with the main character. Yeah. Which was kind of cool. And I like that aspect of it. And yeah, all the stories I thought were pretty great, even the ones that were lesser. I thought yeah. were kind of better than the ones in Viral before that. So, oh, by you far. Know, yeah. Yeah. It was a decent watch. And, you know, just check it out. It's a fun anthology. You know, probably the weakest part is the wraparound story. But. Yeah. You know, I kind of dug it because it kind of reminded me of Wreck 2 in a way. <laughs> that, that's true, too. Yeah. Yeah. And when we reviewed this last year, that I, I was so high on this movie. I absolutely, I am a big, big fan of the franchise. Um, obviously, I love horror anthology in general. But the first two VHS movies are just absolute classics to me. I totally love them. Viral was, unfortunately, a, a step back from the quality of the first two films, the stories in the in viral just were not very interesting, but 94 completely blew my mind. When we, when we reviewed it on fresh cuts, I basically gave it the same review. Derek just did. I loved every single segment, some more than others, obviously. And ultimately it's the wraparound. That's a little bit of a, a disappointment, especially when you get the end, like the, if you will, the twist of the wraparound, it's, it's just not very fulfilling, not very satisfying at all. Um, but all the segments I think are great. I mean, the weakest segment in the whole movie. I mean, I've heard some people say it's the funeral home. I've heard other people say it's the vampire one, but I, I mean, honestly, I, I couldn't pick the weakest. I can pick the strongest. Cause I obviously, um, Timo's, uh, segment in this one just fucking I said it on the Fresh Cuts review it is my favorite segment from a horror anthology ever period nothing even comes close I that segment put an ear to ear grin and a giant erection on me I just fucking loved it and the whole movie is just awesome so and for those who uh, are curious uh, it was in my top 10 I believe it was at number 7 for 2021 I loved it that much so yeah Nice. And, you know, I'm excited for 99. Yeah, and 99's uh, apparently getting good reviews. Like, I don't read the whole reviews, but I'll read, like, the blurps, like, the you know, the title of the article or whatever, and it seems yeah. like it's getting some pretty positive feedback. So, yeah, that, that'll that definitely be a fresh cut. I'm, I'm, expect, I'm expecting a batshit F1 from Kuso. I hope so. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, Mike. Uh, 
<laughs> yeah, VHS 94 is cool. Um, it, it was a good comeback, too, because like Venom mm-hmm. said, after kind of viral, uh, took a few steps back, it was it was sort of like in a situation where like, okay, does that cement it that this is going to be the last one? And then when they did announce 94, there was that little bit of skepticism, like, can it rebound? And it actually did. And um, on VHS 99, it looks like, yeah, they're really going for kind of the gimmick of right on the cusp of like the digital era. Cause you know, 99, the internet and DVDs and stuff were, you know, starting to introduce themselves to the marketplace, but it wasn't exactly like, you know, the, the complete digital world yet. So I, th- I love how they're kind of playing with that era of, uh, it, it, things started to slowly convert around that time, but not, completely so um they they showed like a teaser for uh, like a teaser trailer for 99 and i i liked what i saw so i'm, I'm hopeful you know if 99 is at least as good as 94 it's gonna be good oh you know what yeah. make, yeah. ama- make it amazing if at the end when it hits 2000 chris jericho just jumps out of the room <laughs> Break the walls down. down. <laughs> Break <laughs> Y2J. And he's just giving oh. people, like, the walls of Jericho, but splitting them really in half. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, all right. Um, my first one up. So, you know, we're not at the end of 2020. I was going to say uh, the wrong year. Yeah. 2022 yet. But we're kind of getting to that portion of the year where it's it's time to or at least how i do it i try to start filling in like my 2022 gaps yet because obviously with fresh cuts there's going to be about you know give or take uh what 50 movies reviewed on there from 2022 but to kind of round out you know making your list at the end of the year of your top you still want to kind of go out and watch some um that we weren't able to cover on the show this year it's kind of been weird in that in that way where you know there's a lot of stuff that i scroll by in vod or just browse that really hasn't caught my attention i'm kind of hanging back to get recommendations but one that was on shutter um i think it's been up there for like a a month or so now that uh, we didn't do it for fresh cuts because there was probably something theatrical the same week and uh it it just kind of passed me by i I eventually got to it, and that would be what Josiah saw. Um, have either of you guys seen it yet? I have not. It's, yes. It stars Robert Patrick, the uh, T-1000 from T2. That's probably what he's <laughs> most famous for. And Nick Stahl, uh, who played John Connor in T3. Yeah, yes. Um, oh. So, I yeah, and, and I think another reason why this one, I kept putting it on the back burner, because it is like just about two hours long, and uh, those always like, well, obviously, the length of it, it takes longer to watch. Duh, that's obvious. I just meant for my period of time, a window sometimes, it's like I'll, I'll pass it up for like something shorter. But I had the time, and I actually did like it quite a bit. I was kind of surprised how much I liked it because I haven't really heard about it talk, or heard it talked about that much by anyone, really. And uh, after I had seen it, a couple other people had mentioned that they liked it, too. But it's a pretty dark story. Um, kind of has like you know religious undertones um a little bit of a redemption going on and then there's a cool little well i don't know if i i guess cool is not the word but there is somewhat of a twist at the end that reminded me of 
another movie, a non-horror movie, the way they kind of handled their twist, which I'm not going to mention because I don't want to give anything away, obviously. But, uh, Derek, you mentioned you saw it. What did you think of it? Yeah, it was great. I, I agree with everything you said. And plus, Rob Patrick, Mike Drop. <laughs> yeah, and he was really good. Like He's fantastic. Some, <laughs> yeah, sometimes with these kind of movies, you wonder, especially when it's someone who had, like, you know, somewhat of a bigger career earlier and it's like okay are they just you know are they just taking a paycheck to phone something in on you know independent smaller movie but no he was really good um and i you know like i said i'm kind of surprised this one has been more talked about especially being on shutter because it should give it a big enough audience where i would have seen it you know on horror groups and stuff but uh i highly recommend it don't let it slip by i would say give it whether it's in someone's top 10 at the end of the year or not, I, I would say give it consideration because uh, it you could end up liking it just as much as me, if not more. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Ben, I'm back to you. All right. My next film is, uh, unfortunately, this is Mr. Venom's stinker of the month. Uh, this film is called, uh, this, this film is also available on Shudder. This is called Allegoria. It is actually written and directed by Spider One. Um, oh yeah, this movie, <laughs> this fucking movie. Yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, Spider One is Rob Zombie's little brother. He was the singer and founder of Power Man Five Thousand. That that you know that uh, I guess industrial metal. I guess you could go for uh, type band that I never really got into. I never really got into Rob Zombie either. So, but that's a story for another show. Um, so yeah, this is his uh, this is his feature length directorial debut. Obviously, he directs most of the Power Man 5000 videos. He's also directed a couple of shorts, like three or four shorts um, since then. And then this is his feature length debut. And unfortunately, folks, I can't really say anything positive about this movie. I th- This movie is it's kind of set up like an anthology, except it's it's this it's one group of artists. Um, and, and the movie opens with this just weird scene at like a like a acting class. Where, where the instructor, the acting instructor is like pressuring this girl to do this scene. And then out of nowhere, she fucking turns into a demon and attacks the guy. And I'm just like, and that's really, that really tells you a lot of what you're getting with this movie. Just a lot of what the fuck, um, a lot of plot holes, unanswered questions. Like I said, it's set up like an anthology, but it's just not a very well-made movie. Un- unfortunately, I, you know, it's not very well edited. I don't think the score is very good considering an actual metal musician did this movie. The score is like nothing memorable. The editing is pretty bad. The performances. It's funny that all these actors are part of a theater group because I don't think any of them can act yet. <laughs> they obviously just started taking acting classes. Um, so I, I I can't really say too many positive things about this. I mean, if you're into weird you know, out there anthologies that I would say, check it out. I mean, I kind of look at this kind of like Kuzo from a few years ago. You remember that movie from White Lotus that was also kind of an anthology based around an earthquake in L.A. that released, you know, monsters and all sorts of random shit. Like, I I look at that movie. I I actually like Kuzo a little bit better than this one because Kuzo at least had some interesting characters in it. Yeah, George Flynn in it. There you go. Exactly. And the uh, the talking, what was it? Talking mole or talking pimple, whatever that fucking thing was. That thing's funny yeah. as hell. <laughs> but yeah. anyway, yeah. 
Uh, this one, unfortunately, I can't really say too many positive things about it. Derek, what'd you, what'd you think of it? Oh, I can't argue anything you said. Uh, like, it's kind of boring. This <laughs> is generic. Yeah. You know, and this just proves that Glenn Danzig is probably the best rock star director. Oh, that's uh, such a terrible thing to say, too. <laughs> to have to admit. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, Fred Durst. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The fucking the John DeVolta movie. Yeah, I, I yeah honestly, I like the fan way better than this. <laughs> yeah. I gotta go dookie. <laughs> oh, man. Mike, have you, did you get a chance to see this yet? I have not because almost Good. everything I've heard pretty much echoes what you're saying right now. So yeah. I've been I've been scared away. Like it's probably something like uh, if with you know it, I might get around to it on a random day if I have nothing else to watch. Because like I admit, like when I was browsing, I think when it first hit Shutter and I saw like the cover, you know what's going like, to happen after you watch it. You know what's going to happen after you watch it. You're going to go to your little Power Man Five Thousand shrine and be like, why, <laughs> why, <laughs> why? Oh, so good, Power Man. <laughs> Yeah, this movie was just a mishmash mess of little segments here and there. Mike, I forget the name of the movie, but do you remember the anthology that we did a couple of years ago on Fresh Cuts that actually wasn't an anthology? Like, it was actually three separate shorts that they just spliced together. And the last segment was uh, they turned into werewolves. Do you remember that terrible anthology? I, I want to say it was like at night something... At night, something comes or something. It comes at night. It's not it comes. At <laughs> night. Like no. something like at night wolves come or something stupid like that. Yeah. Anyway, does it have like a one? naked wolves coming on the cover? Oh God, no. That might have been interesting. Anyway, as much as I disliked that movie, I dislike this one more. So yeah, unfortunately, Allegoria is a skip in my opinion. If you like to torture yourself, then go right ahead. Like I said, it's on Shutter. At least it was a couple of months ago. I'm not sure if it still is, but hopefully if it is and you actually want to check it out, be my guest. But I'm definitely warning against watching this. One. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. All oh, right. Man. Derek. Yeah. What's up next, Derek? Oh, I got a great one for you guys. Uh do you guys ever hear of a movie from 1977 called The Incredible Melted Man? Hell yeah! <laughs> I just watched the fucking 4K of that battle the other Holy night. Holy shit, that got a 4K? Yeah, Vinegar Syndrome. Wow! Yeah, and it looks magnificent, I have to say. For, like, you know, like I had two movies like when I got my package and that I would never think it would be in 4K. Fleshy Peter and the Incredible Shrinking Man, and I both own them on 4K now. <laughs> Vinegar Syndrome—they're <laughs> doing some crazy things over there. Hey, I'm enjoying yeah. it. But uh, the Incredible Milton Man is a story about a man named Steve that was on a spaceship going to the rings of Saturn. But I guess with the stock footage of the solar flare was saying that they got mutated, and he was the only one that survived. And you know, a day has gone by, <laughs> and he's just in a hospital. <laughs> and this is the greatest thing ever. He's just waking up, and his nurse comes in the room, and he's, like, just pissed at his face. He's, like, fucked up. 
And the nurse just runs in slow-mo, and it's the fucking funniest scene ever, because <laughs> all this nurse is doing is running, and there's no one else in the... And then she just crashes into a thing of glass, and keeps running, and she's like... Ah! Ah! Oh, it's so bad, but great. You know, uh, yeah, Alex Rebar plays the incredible Milton Man, and uh, the effects are great because they're actually done by Rick Baker. So there's a lot of good, like, Milton effects in the movie. Uh, terrible acting, though. A lot of the side characters have, like, great delivery. Like, my name is Dr. Ted Nelson. I am Dr. Ted Nelson. <laughs> But, you know, it's it's fun. It's cheesy fun, you know. It's weird because one of the actors in this movie is Jonathan Demme. <laughs> Future Academy Award-winning director. Uh, it's pretty fun, though. Like, if you like Milton movies, you know, it's about like a... It's kind of like Man-Made Monster. It's like an updated version of that movie. Yeah. But uh, more violent has gore in it. Has great of oozy effects but you know it's memorable it's fun yeah i know i've seen it it's easily been over 20 years but i, I do remember watching it with uh like my cousins i believe I, and i remember having a good time with it now uh, at the same time i was probably like 11 or 12 years old so i haven't watched it <laughs> since then uh so i'd have to rewatch it to really give a good review of it but i mean i do remember it being pretty fun and I know that the Riff Tracks guys have riffed that movie, and I've seen clips of that, and that, of, of course, is hysterical. I love Riff Tracks and Mystery Science Theater, so it goes without saying that if they cover a classic horror film, I'm going to watch it. I will watch it eventually, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> if it has a 4K, shit, <laughs> I might want to check that out. Oh, yeah. Mike, have you ever seen The Incredible Milton Man? I don't think so, No. Oh, I know what I'm going to pick for my next show. We should just have an incredible show, and it'll be like The Incredible Melting Man, The Incredible Shrinking Woman, uh, The Incredible... Uh, oh, shit, I'm thinking of, well, The Incredible Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of a horror movie in, in that it's horrible. Yeah. Oh. Ed Norton. Uh, all right, what do you got next, Mike? All right, so another 2022 that I caught on Shutter that probably just won't fit into the fresh cut schedule. It's called Who Invited Them. Uh, either of you seen or heard of this yet? No. Shit, I, I was gonna pop this on the other day, literally, and I decided to watch uh, the first Orphan movie again. So <laughs> I never got around. To, I never got back to it. All oh, right. Fuck you, Peter Sarsgaard. Fuck me. Yeah. <laughs> this one is. If you take a little bit of like funny games with I'm just fucking with you and kind of mix those together to make a movie that's, I'd say, not as good as either one of those. But what they're going for, that's kind of like it, where it's like, oh, we have some neighbors that are at our house party. Oh, they're not leaving. Oh, they're going from quirky nice to quirky weird to quirky aggressive. That kind of thing, um, and it just you know it leads to where it goes. But I, you know, I liked it. It was it was a fun movie. Nothing that will be probably my you know top ten or even top fifteen at the end of the year. But uh, considering how 
you know, how weak Shutter kind of was earlier in the year with what they were throwing on there as supposed Shutter originals. I, I, you know, I do think this is a lot better than those. It, it, I had fun with it. Um, small cast, small story, but um, I, you know, I, I thought it was good. It, it, it kind of, you know, I mentioned I'm just fucking with you being like a Hulu into the the dark this kind of feels like along those lines as far as like budget and scope of the story and all that and you know those into the dark movies it was kind of like uh trading like good ones for bad ones yeah so, yeah i really did yeah. like uh i'm just fucking with you I, I i had a lot of fun with that movie it's not a classic by any stretch but i, I thought that was one of the better into the dark fil- uh, movies yeah it was and this has similarities with the like antagonists where like they do, they do a good job with the story and the dialogue where you're really trying to figure out like what exactly is going on with them. Like are, is the viewer being manipulated to think something, you know, more so is going on than really is or, or not. And, uh, it, it goes some pretty interesting places by the end. So, um, I I'd recommend it. Nice. All right, uh, back to you, Venom. All right, my last one for the day is actually, I, I'm actually going to bring an episode of a TV series in here. I'm not even bringing the whole series in here, even though I am 100% endorsing the series as a whole. Um, so I want to I start my review by basically saying, if you are a fan of H.P. Lovecraft and writings in the Cthulhu mythos, then please stick around. I, I have a lot to say to you. If you're not a fan of H.P. Lovecraft and don't care about his film adaptations, then go ahead and skip five to ten minutes. You're not going to like this movie at all because it is 100% a loving homage to Lovecraft. But anyway, the series is Love, Death, and Robots. This is a series on Netflix. They currently have three seasons available to watch. Season four is on the way. These are anywhere from five to 20-minute long episodes where... Um, As the title of the series indicates, each segment is about either love, death, or robots, or any combination of the three. This particular episode was from season three, the latest season. It's one of the last episodes of season three. It's season three, episode eight. The name of this episode is Invaulted Halls Entombed. If that's not fucking Lovecraftian as hell right from the start, I don't know what is. Um, This episode is, it's only a 15 minute long short. The synopsis is as follows. Deep in the mountains of Afghanistan, a squad of special forces soldiers has the dangerous job of recovering a hostage held by terrorists. But the evil they encounter as they venture deep underground is far more ancient and terrifying. Yes, my friends, that is a really good description because they're obviously going to keep it as vague as possible. I absolutely adored this segment. It is CG. It is animated. It's 100 percent CGI. Um, Love, Death, and Robots as a series is an animated series, I forgot to mention. Some of the episodes are hand-drawn, some of them are anime, some of them are CGI. This particular episode is CGI, and as the description states, we've got special forces soldiers going into this uh, underground, not so much a bunker, but more like a, almost like a catacomb type thing. And, of course, they end up running into a Lovecraftian horror at the end, which I will not describe um, for the benefit of people who have not seen this episode yet. Like I said, if you have Netflix, go ahead and check out Love, Death, and Robots Season 3, Episode 8. 
in vaulted halls entombed. It is. It, it blew me away. I mean, literally, when the episode was done, my mouth was agape. Now, mind you, this is coming from a Lovecraft stan. I absolutely fucking adore H.P. Lovecraft, the Cthulhu mythos, all of it. I'm not quite at Brian Salmon's level by any stretch, you know, since he's an actual author and has actually written Cthulhu mythos stories. But I, you know, I, I, the love is there. I absolutely love the mythos and this story, this movie. Uh, well, I say movie. This episode of a TV series is goddamn spectacular. Um, I'm not sure. Have you guys have you guys either watched this episode or any episodes of Love, Death and Robots? I have not. Yeah, it's, some of the episodes are quirky, like they go for comedy. Um, there's this one particular uh, series of episodes called um, The Three Robots. And it's basically these three irreverent lo- robots that have like human mannerisms and, you know, they talk shit to each other. Um, they're basically exploring, a wor- they're exploring Earth, but after all humanity is gone, like there's no people left. Um, There's just like skeletons and shit still hanging around. I think they explained that humanity annihilated itself at some point. Um, But that's that's a cool little series within Love, Death and Robots. There's lots of anime. There's some cool anime. There's a cool episode where a girl kind of transfers her spirit into a monster specifically to fight in like to do pit fighting. Like literally people will transfer their consciousness into a monster and then they'll fight in a pit to the death. I, that that was pretty fucking interesting to me in general. So, um, so yeah, like I said, I recommend the series. Not every episode is horror, as I've said. Most of them are sci-fi and or comedy. Um, one of my favorite episodes ever. I'm just gonna give it a one-line description. Uh, all the yogurt in the world becomes sentient. That's all I'm gonna say about that fucking episode. But if you've seen Love, Death, and Robots, you know what I'm talking about. So, uh, I, I recommend the series more from an entertainment. Ve- uh, standpoint than a horror standpoint there are a couple of horror stories in there in here there's actually a really cool one about an indian goddess that turns really violent that that, i forget the name of that one but that one's also a cool episode so yeah love death and robots on netflix if you haven't checked it out check it out yeah i've seen the first season and it's uh, like oh so you saw the three robots the first episode of the three robots Uh uh-huh yeah Uh, with the cats Uh, yes exactly yeah i love it and yeah there's there's sequel episodes to that episode it's pretty funny (laughs) but yeah great series check it out if you haven't all right uh all right what's it what do you got up last eric uh i'm gonna talk about a movie that uh actually i kind of had the kind of same experience that venom had with this one when i was uh first seeing it because the old dvd i had was like a budget dvd and the movie looked like shit. But then this movie just got a Blu-ray from Vinegar Syndrome, and that scared to death from 1980. Uh, yeah, this one's pretty fun. It's pretty much uh, about, like, this thing that's inside, like, the sewers of, like... I think it's either L.A. or New York. Or I forget. It's like a midtown, big city area. There's murders going around. They find out... Uh, this ex-cop is like a. They asked him for it because he used to be like a good like, detective and shit like that. So they hire him to kind of find out what's killing all these women, and figures out it's this weird creature known as the Syngenor, or aka the synthesized genetic organism. So this movie's a creature feature. This monster's kind of like 
pre like, it's kind of like a mixture of alien and predator in that sense where it's like the look of the actual creature the Sinjinor, but it's kind of cool like it's like old school like this movie actually ironically came out the same year as alligator there's a lot of those stock in, in the sewer scenes Ooh, no. <laughs> fucking alligator <laughs> uh, but uh yeah it's fun it's directed by william malone who uh a Bill lot malone. of i know that yeah guy. <laughs> yeah director of house on haunted hill remake uh, fear.com yeah a bunch yeah of stuff. yeah yeah it's his first movie uh, big fan of this one. Uh, this actually has another movie about the Sinjinor. It's just called Sinjinor that he didn't, but he got like credit for like the design of the look of the monster. That was pretty fun. That I actually made a second movie out of this movie, and uh, yeah, this is fun. I I recommend it. It it's kind of the weird way I describe it. It's kind of like a giallo, but then it's a creature feature at the same time. Because, you know, you have, like, the back and forth of, like, getting to know this ex-cop. He's like, yeah, I'm going to write a novel. Yeah, I'm going to hit this lady's car. Oh, I'm going to fuck this lady later after I hit her car. You know, standard, like, old Italian <laughs> fucking giallo setups, the mean characters. It's yeah. funny, like... But, uh, yeah, it's fun. I, I recommend it, and, you know, it was good, because, like I said, like, the old DVD was, like, pan and scan with, like... Ugh dark because a lot of the scenes in the sewer are dark and the blu-ray lightens them up a lot and that's a good thing because you know some of those scenes i'm like i don't know what i'm watching be a bag (laughs) of oranges it could be a monster raping another girl i don't know (laughs) Uh, i'm pretty sure i've seen this i i have no memory of it but i i because i remember um the, the way I know Bill Malone is through my wife. My wife is a veterinary assistant, and Bill Malone used to be one of her clients. Uh, she 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 uh she worked at a veterinary clinic that was actually in a like kind of a posh part of L.A. So they got like I mean she had clients like Charlize Theron, uh, Wilford Brimley, like you know a lot of like Hollywood actors would bring their pets to this particular hospital. And she told me that Bill Malone was a client, and this was only a few years after Fear.com had come out, and I did enjoy Fear.com for what it was. You know, it's not a cinematic classic by any stretch. It kind of reminds people of The Ring, really. It has a lot of the same elements of The Ring, but um, I do remember enjoying it. I remember giving her the DVD, yes, the DVD at the time, for him to sign it. And she basically called me one day and said, hey, he's here, and he'd love to meet you. And I was like, really? So I went, we talked, uh, I know he mentioned scared to death. Uh, I, I, I mentioned, I, I basically said the same thing to him that day that I'm saying now that I know I saw it, but I don't have a memory of it, but I love fear.com. <laughs> so, so there you go. That's my Bill Malone story. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> the, the movie he did after scared to death was, you know, like the alien ripoff creature from 85 creature. Yep. Yeah. Which is pretty fucking awesome because it has, out of nowhere, like this weird rapey performance by Klaus Kinski. <laughs> Aren't all his performances rapey? Yeah, but it's like extra rapey because he's like legitimately <laughs> grabbing like girls' asses in the movie. He played the rapiest vampire ever. <laughs> Always. God. Like, like even when he's eating a cheeseburger in the movie, he's like just looks like he's raping it. Oh God! Oh, that's gross. <laughs> we have to. We might. I don't know. That might be a future review creature. 
I, I but yeah, I'm I'm always down if it got a DVD, if it got a Blu-ray release and oh, actually yeah, looks yeah, good. Yeah. yeah, I'm down. Yeah, because actually, Vinegar Syndrome actually put both this and Creature are scared to death. Very they're, cool. Like I said, they're doing the Lord's work. <laughs> they kind of are, man. They're they're resurrecting all these creature features that I that I have completely forgotten about, and now I'm interested in spending more of my money. So yeah, so so Venom's <laughs> next package is going to be Melton Man 4K, Blu-rays <laughs> of Scared to Death and Creature. I think I still might have my creature DVD floating around, like just the disc. Like I, back in the day, I didn't keep cases. Yeah. Uh, I do now, obviously. I'm I'm like an actual collector now. But yeah, I've got like you know CD booklets just filled with movies, and I'm pretty sure Creatures in there. <laughs> oh, I feel you there. I have a few <laughs> of those like those. Hey man, when you're when you're living in college or when you're going to college and living with like five other people. You don't have the luxury of having a, a rack of hundreds of movies, you know, so you kind, you kind of got to make do. And, and I do regret it because a lot of those DVDs cases that I dumped were never they never got a Blu-ray release, though. I still have the discs, which is nice. I mean, I can still watch the movie. But, yeah, it's not like anybody. Else, it's not like I'll ever make any money off them or anything if they become collectors. Yeah, who wants my DVD of Chatterbox? There you go. <laughs> All right, Mike, what's your last one? All right, my last one is sort of a show that's in progress because they only release an episode weekly, and currently there are two episodes up on Shudder, and this is the 101 Scariest uh, Movie Moments in Film, I think it's called, and I believe it's from the same production as Cursed Films, but I could be wrong, but it it feels like similar style, and... uh, I don't know. I mean, there's not much to say because it's a it's in essence, you know, a clip show. So people, they, you know, they play the clip. People talk about why it's great, what they love about it, and then they move on to the next one. Now, what I will say is I, I do kind of appreciate the way they're doing it in kind of like the 10. Each episode, there's 10 picks. And uh, I, if anyone's familiar with like NFL Network, when they do like the top 100, whatever, running backs drafted second in the draft or something, they usually uh, format their show like that as well with like 10 at a time before the next episode. I do kind of like it because yeah. sitting down to watch like all 100 at once, you could do it. I'm not saying you can't carve out like a few hours or more. But it, it's kind of nice to get like the you know, 45 minutes to just under an hour. You you get that once a week, get your 10 picks out, and you kind of get to sit and think about those and stew on them. And, hey, if there's something mentioned that you're not familiar with or want to revisit, you got your list there. You don't you don't run – and, you know, there's nothing wrong with like the three or four hours – documents watching all at once but i i don't sometimes you can get fatigued like you know and two and a half hours in you're like okay i need to pause this and take a break or whatever but this one it 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 goes by really quick so i'm looking forward to like the rest of the season have uh have either of you guys seen any of the episodes yet no uh i've watched the first one i haven't watched the second one yet i think they're doing more than 10 per episode though because the first episode did 101 through 89 because uh, i haven't i haven't watched the second one yet Maybe the first one was 11 because since they did 101 and not 100, they had to like do an extra one in the first episode. Well, they did 12. I think 12 total is what they did. They did 101 to 89 because they did do number 89 in the first. (sighs) Interesting. Not that it matters. Obviously, they're putting out an episode a week until Halloween. So, you know, 
but yeah, I totally agree with you. I, I, I tend to like movies like this, you know, these little clip show things. I mean, Terror in the Isles is one of my favorite movies ever, and that's all it is, is a clip show. It's basically Donald Pleasance and Nancy Allen just, you know, setting up all these different horror movie clips and watching them. Um, and this that's is the weirdest period ever. What's that? Donald, this picture and Donald Pleasance and Nancy Allen yeah. just hanging out with each other. They're actually not in any scene together, which is interesting. Like, they're both in the same theater, but they're not sitting next to each other. So, like, the ra- the wraparound, if you will, is basically, yeah, Donald Pleasance and Nancy Allen in a theater watching a horror movie. And then, you know, the, the camera will come back to one of them and they'll set up the next clip, blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, I mean, that one actually played in theaters. I remember seeing that in theaters back in, like, 83 or 84. I absolutely love that movie. If you get... I don't even know if it's still available anymore, but if you buy the original Blu-ray release of Halloween 2, of the original Halloween 2, uh, the whole movie, Tales from the uh, Terror in the Isles, I'm sorry, I, I, I hope I said that right the first time, Terror in the Isles is the name of the film, and um, it was a special feature on the Halloween 2 Blu-ray, which is pretty damn awesome, but yeah. now you can get it by itself. They, it did finally get a, its own Blu-ray release. Yeah, so. from Screen Factory, yeah. There you go. But yeah, I mean, I'm right there with Mike. I, I do like stuff like this because, you know, sometimes, you know, you don't want to watch an entire movie. You just want to watch the best parts of a movie. So why not? Just watch. Yeah. Trailer, uh, hey, hey, yeah, I, I, I get all those trailer compilations and shit. Exactly. Trailers from hell and shit like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's it's a, one of those on in the background. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's the perfect type of show to throw on the background, especially working from home, like to where you know, the more familiar you are with whatever movie they're talking about, you almost don't even need to look at the screen to know exactly like the scene or the scariest moment that they're talking about. You, because you've probably seen it so many times that, uh, you know, you know, it's already playing in your head as they're talking about it. And then, you know, every once in a while when they bring up something that you're less familiar with, then you'll kind of look and I actually have a, like a, uh, notepad where I'll, I'll compile whenever I watch these types of docs where they cover a lot of films, I'll just jot a, down a list of movies that like I haven't seen or to rewatch based on, you know, how they're talked about in the documentary. So <coughs> that's fun. yeah, absolutely. That, that's what terror in the aisles was for me when I first saw it, because I didn't recognize half the clips in it. The first time I saw it, when I saw it in theaters, um, I forget the name of the movie, but the one with um, wings Hauser, where he's like it, a psychopath. That's like every movie. Yeah, that's valid. <laughs> I forget the name of it, but like I, I, no, I don't think it was that. He he has a cowboy hat and he's chasing a chick through most of the movie. I can't remember the damn name of it, but anyway, the point is there were clips of that in Terror in the Isles. I had never seen the film before, so I actually sought it out, and it was pretty good. Uh, not good enough to remember the title, apparently, but I do remember it being pretty good. I feel like it's Spice Squad. Actually, that sounds that might be it. That that, that does sound familiar because I, I remember it having kind of like a co- a cop title. Yeah, that seems and that was what eighty two. Yeah, um, I think that's it. I think that is the movie. Yeah, because there's clips. Yeah, yeah, a single mother prostitute. Yeah, that's it. It is Vice Squad. Sorry. Yeah, it's absolutely Vice Squad. And like I said, it, it's a movie that I avoided because of the title. Because like I said, Vice Squad sounds like a police procedural which i was never into in the 80s but then you know because i saw those clips of him absolutely torturing that woman 
I went out and saw the movie, and yeah, I ended up really liking it. So, so yes, 101 horror movie moments. Watch it. No reason not to. It's awesome. It's Halloween. Perfect time. Yeah, check it out. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, yeah, I'll watch episode two one of these days. I've, I've just been busy with movie watches. <laughs> um, all right, uh, so that's going to wrap up the What We Watch segment, and we can move right into news, if we have any. <laughs> do do we have any news? Because the, the only news I had written down would have been more relevant, probably, if we recorded a month ago, which would have been that, hey, there's two movies that are kind of doing the switcheroo, because... Uh, Evil Dead Rise looks like it is going to get a theatrical release now, and Halloween Ends is getting the same day streaming after what's his name said that he would not do that for Halloween Ends, but uh, I guess that he reversed that. Now I, yeah. it's, do you think do you think he reversed that because it's no good? Because <laughs> why? No, not at all. Because it's still coming out in theaters. We're still getting a theatrical release. It's just it's also coming out same day on what Paramount or Peacock, one of those. They're probably like, if you didn't like the last one that much, you could just watch it on Peacock, you know. It's true. I mean, it's it's valid. I mean, it's getting more eyes on the movie that, you know, if you only put it in theaters based on the strength of Halloween Kills, I don't think it's going to make a shitload of money. It's definitely not going to make as much as Halloween 2018. So, I, I, I mean, ultimately, it's not like they're not making money. Like, the streaming service that's going to provide the movie has to pay for the rights for that movie. Yeah. So I mean, they're still going to get their money. Well, it's funny because I can as much. But. I think it's like you have to have Peacock probably premium or whatever the hell they call their version of it, and I Peacock don't. So, so the funny thing for me is like it would actually cost me more to watch it at home than to go to the theater because I have the Regal Pass. Exactly. So, so not that I would watch it at home anyway. I mean, anytime these movies get same day releases, I'm at the theater. I don't care. I do love my house, don't get me wrong. I love my big 4K TV, blah, 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 but nothing will ever replace the theater experience for me. I absolutely adore it. Uh, yeah. I will always go to the theater. Something about those sticky floors and, you know, sitting next to people that haven't bathed in days. I, nothing can replace that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, especially because the... Did I tell you that fucking... Uh, actually, later this month, fucking Fabio Frizzi is playing a whole concert. Yes, I'm going. Oh shit! I am am going to see Goblin at the at the Hollywood Palladium. (laughs) I'm so excited. It's the same place that I saw John Carpenter when he played live. And it's fucking awesome because they're playing Zombie after. Yep. Fucking great! I can't. Is is the show you're going to Venom the one where they're doing like the entire Suspiria soundtrack? I think so. Because that's the flyer I saw for... I'm assuming it's the same tour, because they're coming up here to, I think, Oakland. Either Oakland or San Francisco. La, 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 And, yeah, on the banner for it, it says... Because it's like... I don't know if it's like the 45th anniversary or... You all will have encore songs, because there's only like nine songs in Suspiria. Yeah, dude, they're just going to repeat, like... Well, I don't well, yeah, know... I mean, they're going to... They got to do a lot of their stuff. They'll do Deep Red and Tenebrae. Maybe not the whole scores, but selected pieces from each. Yeah. Well, oh, like, yeah. I, I think when they did the Deep Red tour, they actually had the movie playing in the background. It would like do the score live with the movie playing. So That's fucking I, awesome. They might be doing that with Suspiria this time. I'm not 100% sure. but I'm looking uh, at the event page. I don't see anything about 
uh, them doing Suspiria. It, 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 I mean, it doesn't say anything about what they're performing. Just, uh, yeah, so it's November 27th out here. Oh, it's actually at the Palace Theater. I'm sorry, not the Palladium. But, uh, oh, the Palace Theater is actually kind of nicer, but not as big as the Palladium. But either way, um, yeah, I, I will be at Goblin. What is that? That's the Sunday before Thanksgiving for me. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's I'll re- so. I'll report back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. I mean, I'm sure your report's going to be like, oh, my God, that was fucking awesome. <laughs> like I said, Deep Red is literally one of my favorite horror scores, period. Ever. I fucking love Deep Red. And if they if they play the main theme of Deep Red, I'm just going to come right in my pants. So, yeah. I'm oh, excited. yeah. Good times. <laughs> <laughs> Where else would you? <laughs> uh, well, it is L.A. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> where's, where's Elijah Wood? <laughs> <clears throat> uh, what other news we got? Do you guys got anything? Some GTA oh, 6 right. stuff leak, leaked. <laughs> I didn't even notice. I was watching, I mean, I watched the uh, the Sony uh Whatever their presentation Whatever, was this or week, showcase, it, I call it. Yeah, yeah. State of play. That was it. State of play. And um, yeah, I mean, the only thing I really much cared about is uh, there's there's actually a, another samurai game coming out. I, um, Rise, ah, damn it, Rise of the Ronin. That's it, Rise of the Ronin. And if you if you're interested in you know um, action, you know just kind of hack and slash action, uh, check out the trailer for this game. I, I think it looks it. it like Ghost of Tsushima from a couple of years ago is a spectacular game. This one looks like that, but with way nicer graphics. Oh wow! It just looks gorgeous. So yeah, I'm excited for that one. There's not really any horror games that I'm anticipating. Yeah, nothing uh, really. Huh? I mean, I know Resident Evil Village. The Callisto Protocol DLC. looks good. What's that? Isn't it like the Callisto, the Callisto Protocol? It almost looks like another Dead yes. Space. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's the same developers. So, yeah, it's probably going to be a, a Dead Space type game, which is fine because I fucking love Dead Space. And I'm very upset that we haven't gotten one in over 10 years. So, yeah, yeah. They're, doing, they're doing the HD remaster of it. I mean, I've played I've played the first two uh, Dead Space games ad nauseum. I mean, I beat them over like 10 times each. I fucking love those games. The third one wasn't nearly as good, you know, because it wasn't it wasn't spacey as the first two. I know that sounds stupid. I, I'm trying to think of the right term. But the third one actually takes place on a planet and it's an ice planet. So you're basically walking around constant snowstorms and everything else. And, <laughs> it's like the episode of The Mandalorian. Yeah, you might go that far. Yeah. And uh, it just I, I just didn't find it as fun as the first two. But, I mean, Dead Space 2 is one of my favorite games ever, period. Fucking love it. So, yeah, I'm excited. I, I guess I'm mildly excited for that one. But, yeah, most yeah, of what I'm waiting for isn't horror. I mean, you know, God of War Ragnarok is on, like, near the top of my list. Hell, yeah. That shit oh looks God. like it's going to be amazing. And I just, I just 100%ed the first game. Like, I had beaten it back in 2018 when it first came out, but I decided to play it again uh, literally last month uh, just to kind of get ready for Ragnarok in November. And I, I ended up just getting so addicted that I literally just 100%ed the game. I beat every Valkyrie. I found every uh, lore tablet. I mean, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> Do you know uh, approximately how long the campaign – like, if you're just going straight through the story? How of, the, of, the, of 2018? Yeah. Um, I mean, you're still looking at about 13, 15 hours. 
okay because it's it's free it's on premium right now so i'm like oh. shoot i should get it and play it because it, i all the other god of war games i loved so yeah god i mean even for a four-year-old game it still looks and plays spectacular like i if it came out this year it would probably be my game of the year <laughs> it, it's that good so i'm very excited for ragnarok and ragnarok will be true 4k and 60 frames a second and all that happy stuff so yeah That'll be good. Yeah. And, <laughs> and Legend yeah. of Zelda for life. I'm down. Hey, Legend of Zelda, absolutely. I am. Yeah, they got a new. The, 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 do you see the teaser? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Are you guys uh, prepping any 31 for 31 for October? Uh, no, I, I, I'm reti- I just watch whatever I want. Yeah, I I usually do that. This year, for the first time, what what I did was I just made a list of the movies I want to watch that month. Not like the the, the exact day, like I'm going to watch this on the first, this on the second. Is Porno Holocaust one of them? Uh, What's that? Is Porno Holocaust one of them? No, but Cannibal Holocaust is number one. (laughs) Because uh, this, this year I've decided to do all found footage. So this this, uh, this spooky season is all found footage. So of course I'm going to start with the granddaddy of them all with Cannibal Holocaust and go from there. Oh hell yeah! yeah. And I just on. picked up that. Or, wait, did I just pick it up or did Derek buy it for me? I forget. So I I just got that that special edition Blu-ray. You know that big package. I forget. I forget if somebody bought it for me or I, I think somebody got it up for me off my wish list. Oh, was it? Cannibal Holocaust. The, the good edition, the fancy one. Uh, I didn't get that one for you, but oh, okay. that's good. That's great. Somebody got it for me because I sometimes people will buy me shit off my wish list and not put <laughs> name on it. It's like ah, whatever. Yeah, I got a random fan. Awesome. <laughs> I wish yeah. I had random fans. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true too. <laughs> I get to buy Michael something. I owe him a birthday for his. <laughs> I uh, I'm not sure exactly what I'm doing yet, but I know it's going to involve at least partially because I, I would just make it the theme, but I don't have 31 to do it with is uh, all the 4Ks I've bought that I just haven't opened and watched yet. So I'm gonna... I, that's funny because I counted my four, my horror 4Ks as well. I had that idea as well. It's like, let's do a 4K horror, but I think I only have 21. So I'm yeah, there's sure. not a lot of 4Ks yet. Not good ones, yeah. anyway. I mean, besides <laughs> like like anything Spring Factory, like Candyman and shit like that, I gotta pick up still. Yeah, see, if I if I extended to include Blu-rays, but only Blu-rays that are like sitting on my shelf that I haven't opened, I can probably get to thirty-one. But even then, it's gonna be close because most Blu-rays I have were bought long enough ago that I would have opened them and watched you, them. You should just now. do thirty-one movies that Derek picks for you to watch. <laughs> He'll blow his head off halfway. I want, I want October to be fun, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> what? You don't what like you things and fungicide? What are you talking about? Derek, <laughs> Derek knows some dark ass shit out there. <laughs> oh, Derek finds all the classics. <laughs> some of them are fun, but Derek can find the dark ones. They're almost all fun. It's just some of them are terrible. <laughs> like fungicide is legit terrible, but it's funny as hell. <laughs> yeah, the mushroom stick fighting. Yes. <laughs> Are you things, guys? Uh, things is one of those movies that's just hard to watch. Like, like I don't know what that. Yeah, that's a endurance test. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. It yes. is. If you can get through that, you're a, you're a fucking horror superstar. 
Something I didn't bring up on the what we watched that I just remembered, um, only because it's a movie that's been talked about a lot. But uh, I did go manage to get to the theater to see the Jaws uh, anniversary, and I I did the 3D one. Did you do the IMAX one? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I I thought the 3D was really well done. Like any scene, I think it was the best for scenes that took place in the ocean because. The way the 3D was formatted, it almost looked like the ocean was like coming off of the screen, like so you were like in the yeah. water too. And uh, you know, it's Jaws, so of course, excellent movie. But adding, you know, uh, for a movie that came out so long ago that I've seen so many times, the fact that I can get like almost a new experience out of it so many years later yeah. is just awesome. It's great. I mean, it, even if I just went to the theater to see standard Jaws the way it was originally made, that still would have been awesome because of yeah, Jaws. Yeah. But the still one of the greatest that, movies ever made. Exactly. Yeah, it was like yeah. when I saw fucking Evil Dead last year. It was like fucking, this is great. <laughs> yeah, know. when I saw Suspiria 4K a couple of years ago at a theater, that was pretty fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah it was I, so loud. All oh, the audio was so loud. I loved it. <laughs> I I do plan on going to see uh, the Dawn of the Dead in 3D. Oh, as well. guaranteed. Are you kidding? My favorite zombie movie ever. Damn right, I'm going to be there. We did. Do, oh, we did get the IMAX trailer for Dawn. Obviously, not the 3D one. Um, 3D. Like I said, I like 3D. It's okay. I, I it's not something that I look at as vital. Like, I think the I think the, yeah. I, I think the, the IMAX presentation was fucking spectacular. In IMAX, I mean, Bruce never looked so fucking big. I absolutely loved it. And and the Dawn of the Dead trailer in IMAX was spectacular too. So yeah, hell yeah, when the music kicks on and then the narration, mm-hmm. it's just like as if I'm not already gonna see it, guys, and you're just making it even sweeter. Exactly. <laughs> I think I, I think it's like what October twenty eighth through halloween so i'm gonna like i think that. i think the 28th is a thursday or a friday so i'm gonna try to get get it in on like first night exactly yep exactly there michael <laughs> uh uh yeah so that's it for that probably um as far as burning questions segment venom did you find a list for us to go over I did not find a list, but I did because of one of the films that we're reviewing today. I did kind of have something that I thought could turn into an interesting conversation, and that is American remakes of foreign horror films. We haven't actually announced the movies that we're doing yet today, but I'm sure, you know, if you saw the the banner on the uh, on the link, you already realized that we're doing uh, Goodnight Mommy as one of our reviews today. And literally this past week, the American remake of Goodnight Mommy uh, came out. Now I have not seen it yet, so I'm not I'm not going to try to bash it or anything like that. My thought is we, we get a lot of American remakes of hor- of foreign horror films very soon after they come out. Like you know you'll see them like within a couple of years, maybe within ten years. You know you might get that American remake. You know we've seen it multiple times. I mean we're getting a Train to Busan. American remake later uh, New York. next year. Yeah. yeah. Trained in New York. Yeah. How fucking original. Anyway, the point is, is that I personally, and I don't want to speak for either of my co-hosts or any of our listeners, but I personally think that every time an American remake is made of a foreign horror film, it always pales in comparison to the original. So I kind of wanted to get like your guys's take on that. Like, do you have any examples of American horror remakes of foreign films that are actually 
I don't, I don't even want to say watchable, comparable, let's say comparable to the original. Um, and then, and then the, just the overall, why, like, why can't Americans, you know, re, uh, you know, reproduce the magic that these foreign filmmakers did. So yeah. Anybody who wants to chime in, come on in. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I would say no, they're not. Well, I'd say there's cases where they aren't bad movies, the remakes I'm specifically stating, but most of the time when I do watch them, I just come away with thinking, what was the point of even making it in the first place? A lot of them, you know, it's like they make these incremental changes that just make the movie less effective or less interesting to me. I don't understand why people just aren't interested in watching the originals to begin with. I mean, I, I guess subtitles are still like, too much for some people i don't get it i i also don't like the fact that a lot of times with foreign movies there is specific cultural aspects that get lost in trying to translate it into english language versions that are in the movie as story points for specific reasons and when you remove them or try to modify them it doesn't come across the same um with you know, American storytelling, like a, a a good example is like Dark Water, the the original. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think the American remake of Dark Water is a horrible movie, but um, a big aspect of the original to me was dictated because of how um, the the culture kind of views like a divorced woman in her, I, I think, 30s is what the character was kind of how society comes down on them as a failure. It's like all their fault. And you don't really get that same, like, obviously there is, there probably is like a portion of Americans that might think that, but it's not like a, the same societal norms and, you know, just little aspects like that, that really give a nuanced story um, with its writing that you lose. And that's often why American remakes are seen as kind of bland or, just kind of generic, even when they're not bad. And yeah. yeah. And then you have like the style where it's like the American remakes almost go beat for beat with the original ones. And it's like, well, what's the point? Why, what, what do I care? Like, it's almost like movie, movie karaoke. (laughs) Because you're just like doing the same thing, but putting American. Yeah. I mean, most of these remakes aren't nearly as egregious as like the the Vince Vaughn Psycho remake that was literally a, an attempt at a shot for shot remake. But I, I know some people like that movie. I, I fucking can't stand that movie. The original Psycho is one of my favorite movies of all time, and yeah, that movie was just a travesty. To me. I, 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 I I know I remember it has seeing fans. that one. Yeah, I remember seeing that one in the theater, and like halfway through, people were just laughing. Like, yeah. what the hell is is going on here? Exactly, but. And there's other, you know, obviously, you know, we, we, we run down the list of movies like The Ring, Martyrs, um, Inside, uh, Let the Right One In, you know, and Let Me In, you know, movies like that. It's like, I, I, I'm just wondering, like, why? First of all, since we have such diminishing returns almost regularly with these American remakes, why do why do we even get them? And and sadly, Mike's point is probably correct. People just don't like subtitles. And 
whenever I hear an American uh, movie fan say that, I, I literally just want to slap them in the mouth. It's like, Jesus Christ, you went to school to learn how to read. Are you telling me that reading is that much of an issue? Like people will say stupid shit like, well, when I'm looking at the words, I can't look at the screen, so I might miss something. No, you idiot. That's not how eyes work. You can still fucking see what's on screen when you're reading the subtitles at the bottom. It doesn't fucking make sense. But anyway, it, it, it's just one of those things that if American filmmakers think that there is a market there, then obviously they're going to do it. If these movies make money, they're going to keep coming. The money is the ruler of everything, you know. Um, but I just, I don't understand why we continue to get them. Like I said, we, we're getting Goodnight Mommy, um, which we haven't watched yet. Like I said, don't know if we're going to, but we'll see. And then we got Trained in New York coming next year. Uh, it, it, it just, I don't understand why, why, like, why is it so hard for an American filmmaker to make a fucking original movie? Like what, what is like, what's the end game? You're obviously not going to trump the, the original, you know, it, I'm only and I'm only going by history with that because it's yet to happen. I mean, if somebody wants to disagree with me and tell me that there is an American remake out there that's better than its foreign original, I would love to have a conversation with you because I know people are going to come at me with stuff like The Ring and um, maybe even The Grudge. And uh, no, my friends, I'm sorry. <laughs> the originals, there is so much creepier, so much more unnerving yeah, the American versions are crisper, cleaner. They might you might even say they have better acting because they usually have like, you know, bigger name actors in them, you know, like a Naomi Watts in, in the ring or whatever, something like that. But I don't know, man. It's so hard to reproduce the feel of that original, especially when you're making, you know, this beautiful, glossy, overproduced American theatrical film. It just you're never going to be able to re, you know, redo that uh, the, the the aesthetic that they came up with the first time. Dark Water is actually a great example because the the original Dark Water is a dirty, gritty little movie. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a gross little movie, and and the color correction on that movie even implies that it's a gross, dirty little movie. I mean, Dark Water, yeah. obviously, there there is a theme there. And then and then they go and they make the American one, which is, you know, like I said, all glossy and nice looking. It's still pretty dark. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they still have a lot of dark scenes in there to try to match up with the original. But it pales. John C. Riley. Oh, God, John C. Riley. Don't remind <laughs> me. <laughs> anyway, uh, Derek, uh, you got an opinion on this one? It's tough because there's actually. OK, I'm 50 50. Because there's a few of them I do enjoy a lot when I've first seen them. You know, I haven't revisited them since then, but let's just say I thought they were pretty great for what they were, you know. But then there's like, it's like back in, when we're getting fucking remakes to like Shudder and shit, that's when I'm like, <laughs> okay, now you're fucking just digging in the fucking, in ruining fucking classics because, you know, I'm like, that the original Shudder is one of my favorite horror movies ever. It scared mm-hmm. the fucking living shit out of me the first time I seen that movie. Great movie. And then they fucking do like a fucking paint by numbers Connect Four version of that with fucking Pacey from Dawson's Creek. <laughs> you know, it's like it, some of them get like you know they just started marketing them paint by numbers like hey let's just make it more simple. Deaf and dumb. You know? No, that's true too. I, I felt that with the eye, with the American the eye remake. That like they they dubbed that down. I felt like, granted, it's been a long ass time since I've seen it. I only saw it the one time in theaters, but I remember walking out of the theater thinking, 
Yeah, that was just kind of a dubbed down version of the original. Like, it, again, it didn't feel nearly as grimy and dirty, you know, um, even though some of the places that she was going to in the movie were grimy and dirty. The film didn't come off that way. Another example is One Missed Call. I love One Missed Call. I think that uh-huh. original One Missed Call movie is great. Yeah, that American yeah, remake. Shit. Holy, I mean, I wouldn't calling it dog shit is a compliment. <laughs> like, I don't even know if I could say dog shit. Like, that was just fucking awful. That was just one of the worst. I, I mean, I still say The Fog is the worst horror remake I've ever seen. And and I will admit, I, don't, I haven't seen every one by any stretch, but The Fog was just fucking awful. And One Missed Call was almost as bad. I just, you know, I think because The Fog was a big budget American film, One Missed Call was an American theatrical release, but it was a lot lower budget. You know, it wasn't it, it wasn't this big grand release. So I don't know. I, I, do you think, I, I, do you think one I was going to say, do you think one, there's a certain like uh, laziness to it? Like, oh, look, there's this hit because sometimes I always wonder, like, if it's a big hit overseas, like, why don't you just give it an American release? Like, let's see how Thank it can perform here. Um, and then two. I sometimes wonder if like Hollywood studios think, Hey, here's a good movie and a good story, but uh, we don't trust American audiences to go see something that they, if they don't relate enough to um, uh, like foreign actors on the screen, we need to like make them Americans because Americans want to see Americans and an American story, you know, quote unquote, an American story. Maybe they just don't trust the audiences because I I don't see why you wouldn't release a great movie in America because our movies go overseas and do wonderful numbers, sometimes even better numbers overseas. Now I would say, you know, I guess the difference is I, uh, you know, American film industry is probably the hub of film in general not that other countries don't put out tons of films and don't have their huge industries themselves but but, you know um so maybe that's why the same is not all right well listeners uh i'd love to hear what you guys have to say if you want to chime in on facebook or twitter hit us up and let me know i mean maybe i'm wrong maybe there's a movie out there that i'm not thinking of that actually was oh god (laughs) <laughs> and like I said, there are a lot that I haven't seen just because I kind of just refuse to because I, I don't see the value in them. I don't see the value in watching an American remake of a horror film that I already love. The example that I always go with is Let the Right One In. Let the Right One In is literally my favorite uh, vampire movie ever. I fucking adore that movie. I love every second of it. It's it's not hyperbole when I say it is my favorite vampire movie ever. I have never seen Let Me In. I've had multiple people say that it it is watchable. Some people actually say it's good. Uh, Bo Ransdell from The Dark Parade really was trying to get me to watch it hard because we reviewed Let the Right One In on The Dark Parade. And, he, you know, I had never seen the remake, and he tried to tell me, you know, oh, you need to watch it. It's actually pretty good. But again... The, the statement that I always fall back on that other people say is, well, it's good, but it's not as good as the original. So my question is, why do I want to watch a remake of a movie that's only three years old if it's not better? At the, you know, like I said, I understand the aversion to subtitles, but I don't have that aversion. I want it when I watch a movie, I want to see it in its original language. That's the only way it's going to make sense to me every time. Yeah, I that, uh-huh. Oh, I was just going to say, I've, I've carried that same opinion 
for a yeah. long time now. And I've tried to communicate to people like, why do I want to see a decent version of something great when the, exactly. when the great things out there, you know, um, you know, if let me in was made, if there was no let the right one in and someone came up with the same story, yeah, I'd watch it. But I'm like, there's already something great out there. I don't need to see a lesser version. I get nothing yep. out of it. Now, I'm not even like refu- outright refusing to ever watch it. It's just that yeah. I've never sat down and been like, okay, what do I want to watch? Oh, that's what I, there's just always something else I'd rather, I'd rather exactly. watch. Like, I'm I'm not going to watch Let the Right One In unless I have to for a show. I'm not against and, watching it, mind you. I just, I have no reason to watch it because I love Let the Right One In. So, and I also am not a fan of Chloe Grace Moretz, by the way. I, I don't like her at all. But, uh, but I so that also that think that, yeah, I, I also think Let the Right One In is one of the most egregious examples of this, too. Because other than the fact that it's in a foreign language, I don't think there's too much cultural in it that is like, weird or like strange to like Americans. Right. I, there, it's, it's not, it, it takes place in a small like village during winter. But uh, other than that, I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing that I like as an American myself, obviously, I guess I, I, I didn't watch it thinking, gee, I don't understand what they're doing here. Or I don't understand why the town people are doing it. Like there is none of that. It's very relatable to me. In, in the Absolutely. Way what the story is, you know, Besides Oscar's hair. Oscar. <laughs> hey, I love Oscar's hair. It works for him. <laughs> I would never wear it, but <laughs> all right, folks. So I think that's going to be it for our burning question this week. As I've already said, if you have an opinion, by all means, chime in. And if you think we're wrong, by all means, let us know why we're wrong. Uh, I'd love to hear it. Um, I guess we're going to go ahead and take a break now. Right, gentlemen. And when we yeah. get back, uh, we're going to take a look at my picks uh, for this episode. Rise without a face. There you Billy, go. Billy Idol's pick. Yes, we, we have a Billy Idol video, music video that we'll be looking at called Eyes Without a Face. And then, as I already mentioned, we'll be looking at 2014's Good Night Mommy out of Austria. So Which we'll is, be right back, folks. I, I think it was unintentional timing, too. At the uh, Oh, very unintentional. I didn't know until about a week and a half ago that Good Night Mommy was getting a remake. You know. It's just our scheduling. Yeah, and, exactly. it, and of course it releases a week before we uh, record this episode. <laughs> exactly, so we can't even chime in on whether we liked it or not. Uh, I mean, I don't think there's anything coming out in theaters this week, so who knows? It might be the next Fresh Cuts movie, but you know, we'll have to see. Why are you uh, not going to see Smile? That's next week, September 30th. Oh. Yeah, this week smile. I don't think there's anything opening. Yeah, I, I would imagine we'll do Smile. I mean, it looks stupid as hell, but it, it's a big theatrical release, and we tend to kind of prioritize those on Fresh Cuts. So, yeah, uh, I think it's coming Smile. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great if the movie ends with that song from, like, when Eddie enters Toontown. Smile, oh, so <laughs> smile. <laughs> la, la, no, I don't love that song. I love that song. That, don't ruin Hi, Eddie. Hi, Eddie. Hi, Eddie. <laughs> Hi, Eddie. All right, folks, uh, we're going to go ahead and take a break. We'll be right back, so don't go anywhere. Yum, yum. It's time for a tasty and refreshing snack. Thank you. 
promise to satisfy your hunger, your thirst, your sweet tooth. So visit our refreshment center now. Let's go. And now, on with the show. Welcome back, folks. Uh, in this episode, as I, we mentioned earlier, we're going to talk about some uh, plastic surgery debacles. Uh, our first film this week is uh, 1960s Eyes Without a Face. It does have an original French title, but I am not even going to attempt to say it because I don't know French to save my life. This is, of course, uh, as I mentioned, from 1960. We're looking at a 90-minute runtime. It's original release, October 24th, 1962, in America. That's the It's American release, so it got a Halloween release for 1962, so that's kind of poignant. But it did get released uh, in France for the first time in 1960. Our synopsis is as follows. A surgeon causes an accident which leaves his daughter disfigured and goes to extreme lengths to give her a new face. This film is directed by George Franjou. It is written by some French guys whose names I'm not going to attempt to pronounce. And it stars some French people whose names I'm not going to attempt to pronounce. I don't want to hack up anybody's names. So um, this uh, I'm going to go ahead and start with this one. Uh, this was a first time watch for me. I have never seen this film before. Always heard great things about it. Seems like 1960 was a really good year for horror between stuff like Psycho and Peeping Tom and now Eyes Without a Face. Seems like 1960 was a pretty solid year throughout the world for horror. Um, with this being my first time watch, I kind of expected, you know, where the movie was going. I mean, obviously in 2022, this isn't going to be the most original story ever. You know, Dr. Causes an accident, which, you know, makes his daughter's face be disfigured. And he goes and he's basically, you know, and this is a horror film. So I don't think it's much of a surprise to anybody when I say that the doctor is, of course, kidnapping women, taking them against their will, peeling their face off and attempting to graft it onto his daughter's face um, with varying degrees of results, mostly bad results. But, yeah, you know, this is um. This is a film that probably played really well in 1960. I mean, there's a surgery scene in here where, you know, the effects aren't great for 2022, but I could imagine a 1960 French audience watching this in a theater and just being completely horrified because they're, you know, they're literally showing the doctor peel off this woman's face. You know, first he cuts it. Uh, the problem is, is that it's very obvious a, a false face on top of the actress's real face. Whereas in, you know, if it was a newer movie, they'd correct that a little bit and make it look like, you know, really gnarly. But I thought this was a really compelling story. I thought this was a fun, uh, fun might be a stretch. Um, it was a compelling watch. I, I got to say the movie opens up with calliope music and anybody that knows calliope music, that's that creepy kind of circus music that you hear playing. Anytime a horror movie opens with calliope music, I'm instantly creeped out. Something about that style of music just fucking creeps me out. And then we're introduced to this girl with this mask, a mask which in and of itself is not terrifying. It's basically just a blank female face. But something about her wearing that mask and walking around that house just, it absolutely works for me. It's very unnerving. You know, um, you get some good tension throughout. Obviously, you know, as I mentioned, we get um, you know, multiple attempts at replacing this girl's face. One of the kind of 
I don't want to say, well, it is kind of, if this movie was 2022, this would be kind of an unforgivable thing. But the fact that the first time the doctor replaces his daughter's face with someone else's face and then she removes her mask and her face is absolutely perfect. No scars around the eyes, no scars under the neck. And she literally looks like herself. Like if you take a face off someone else and put it on, you know, your daughter, She's not going to look like your daughter anymore. She's going to look like the other girl. But in this movie, magically, <laughs> she goes back to her original good looks. And then we get, you know, various uh, horror set pieces and things that go wrong from there uh, with an ultimate, you know, climax, which I, th- I thought was a pretty satisfying ending. It kind of leaves it up to interpretation a little bit as to what ends up happening to our uh, protagonist. Young, uh, what's her name? Louise, I believe her name is. Yeah. And then Edna Gruber, right, is the name of the girl uh, that she's the first girl that gets kidnapped and has her face peeled off and everything else. So blah, blah, blah. So like I said, if I'd have seen this, you know, sometime within like maybe the first 10 years that it was out, I probably would have liked it a lot. It definitely looks like it probably disturbed some audiences. I mean, like I said, it's considered a horror classic. A lot of people talk about it. AMC, you know, regards this movie very high on their all-time list of horror films. So, you know, this was, a, this was a pretty good film. Definitely something I would recommend. Definitely more on the artistic side. You know, you're not getting a lot of blood, gore, you know, stalking or any majorly tense scenes. It's just really more about, um, you know, the atmosphere and just the tension within that house between the doctor, his daughter, their, uh, the doctor's assistant, all of that. So uh, I definitely recommend the film. And now I'm going to bring in Derek. Derek, um, was this a first time watch for you? And what did you think of it? Ah, this is actually like a fifth time watch for me, this movie. Yeah, I heard of this movie a while back. Uh, I'd never actually seen it or heard of it before, like, following, like, certain people on Facebook and stuff and people posting about it, like, the groups. Like, wow, this looks cool. So I watched it, and, you know, yeah, like, first thing with the music, I'm like, damn, now I know where the Puppet Master theme came from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting, you know, like, there's movies, like, that came after this one, like, The Skin I Live In, and, like, fucking, like, any Jess Franco, yeah. Dr. Orloff movie, like, yeah, you can tell that they're like, yeah, this is the movie that like those movies, without this movie, we wouldn't have those movies, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, and the put uh, a thing on what you were saying about how to play in France. This that movie actually bombed <laughs> uh, when it first came out, both in the states and in France. Hmm. Uh, yeah, and weird double feature because you know this is actually released. As a double feature with uh, the movie The Manster. Oh God, was it? <laughs> Imagine like I want to the man, the Manster. Yep, <laughs> yeah, the man- yeah, yeah. Which is like a Japanese U.S. co-production. It's about like a Jekyll and Hyde guy with like two heads. It's it's weird. It's very <laughs> weird. But yeah, it's an interesting double feature to say the least. But uh. Yeah, I like this movie a lot. Uh, Pierre Biol, who's one of the writers of the screenplay, 
he also like wrote Hitchcock's Vertigo. So yeah, a few years before this one, and also Diabolique a few years before this one. Mm-hmm. So you know it has like that similar structure. But there's a weird thing like the camera movements in this film. It's very like German expressionism. Maybe like the way that I would kind of describe the way the camera shot. Mm-hmm. I've heard that too. Yeah. Yeah, it's just elegant and beautiful. Actually, weirdly enough, both movies kind of have like a del, a del Toro feel. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, like the next one, it's like, hey, those are Del Toro cockroaches. <laughs> you know, but uh, anyways, but uh, yeah, I enjoy this movie a lot. I I think it's fantastic. Actually, I I really fucking enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great ride. It's a beautiful film. Like like I was watching, it, I was like, man, this movie's good. Looks great too. Cause I actually own the Criterion Blu-ray release of this movie, and that's fucking. I, I I'm gonna guess that the HBO Max stream is also the same HD master. So yeah, watch this movie whether you yeah. buy it or just stream it on HBO Max. It's worth a watch. Especially if you like black and white films. Oh, yeah. I mean, literally a few minutes into the movie, you're not even going to notice that you're watching a black and white movie. I mean, the film is so well made. You're just into the story, into... You were talking about the camera movements, too. I mean, the the first scene when we get into the house where we actually follow the doctor as he progresses through the house all the way up to his daughter's bedroom, it's actually a very slow, tense scene, the, the way that it's shot. Um, the music that's playing, stuff like that. So, yeah, I can definitely see the German Expressionism uh, analogy there. Mike. Yeah, oh, 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 go ahead. I was just going to add, also kind of like, you know, like the, the whole mask thing, fucking, mm, uh, I was thinking of like Tim Burton's Batman. Because <laughs> <laughs> the Joker does have her weird, like that same mask. A little bit, yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mike. Hey, uh, uh, yeah, I guess I'll open my thoughts on just just the fact that she wears that mask most of the movie. I mean, I think that adds to a specific style of horror where they understand, like, the, the viewer seeing that mask is kind of forcing the audience to come up with their own imagination about what she looks like under there. Um, you know something nefarious is going on once you start to you know, uh, figure out once the story starts to progress and you realize what uh, her father's up to, it, it almost enhances because you want to see what's underneath that mask. But even the mask in, in itself is kind of creepy, just just the way it looks. Um, I remember for the longest time reading about how the surgery scene was iconic just because of you know the, t- the, the time in film history it took place. People hadn't seen... Something like that. And it's very, it feels very procedural, right? It's like it's not, they're not trying to add all these crazy enhanced effects to it to like take it over the top. It just literally looks like someone's face being removed. And I think that's obviously what they were going for. And it was effective. And yeah, uh, is Venom correct? And it has some of the like the pitfalls of like just what techniques were capable of at the time. Sure. But I mean, you, you have to realize you're watching something from 1960. So how would 1960s audiences uh, react to this? Uh, overall, yeah, I, I found this movie easy to watch. Um, 
90 minutes, not not uh, not a moment wasted. Uh, this isn't my first watch. I had seen it before, long time ago, to where I definitely needed the refresher if I was going to speak on it. I mean, it's it's good practice to watch everything for shows anyway, but uh, this one specifically, I was like, I, you have to, because, or I have to. There's no way I'd be able to talk about it. And I found myself really pulled in by the story, and you know, as as other characters start to figure out what's going on, the confrontations and the the conclusion, I felt was satisfying. And overall, just a really uh, good movie. It's sitting at seven point six on IMDb too, so it looks like it's gotten that acknowledgement over the years. I heard like originally it was banned. Um, I, I don't know if it was banned here or if it just didn't get a release because it wasn't on the radar, but it, it took a while to like be seen in different countries. And I think reaction to it has improved over the years. It's one of those things where maybe it didn't get its due back in the day. I mean, yeah. the thing is always a great example of that. Um, but now it's like pretty much looked at as a classic. So I am kind of interested to like, to know like what modern audiences see or think of it if they're seeing it for the first time. Um, but I absolutely adored it. I'm very effective at what it was doing. Just a, And it's always aided by a great story and characters. I mean, that yeah. should always be like your first goal in any type of movie you're making. Yeah, it has the Puppet Master theme throughout it. So <laughs> fucking great. It yeah. definitely is reminiscent of that style, yeah. <laughs> no, it's legitly, I feel like this is where they ripped off. Because Richard Band usually rips off other movies. <laughs> scores to make his scores i feel like this is where he got that score he's like yeah i can get, i can do that i'll just yeah. do like you know it's fucking you know interesting uh actually a fun fact about this movie uh the girl who plays uh christine uh tina you know edith scope mm-hmm. the mask she actually was in a movie called holy motors in 2012 where she actually wears that mask again I do remember that now that I think about it. Yeah. I, yeah. I remember seeing Holy Motors. Absolutely. That wasn't that long ago. Or at least yeah. not that long ago that I saw yeah, it. Yeah, like she wears like a similar mask. It was like a big thing. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, what do you call it? It's like Janet Lee driving her same car in the fog that she drove in Psycho. <laughs> yeah, that was the only good part of that fucking movie. Exactly. But yeah, she bring um, it back for, didn't she bring it back for H2O as well? That's what I'm talking about. It's the only good movie. Uh, only yeah. good part of that movie. <laughs> I'll go with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll agree there. Yeah. Now, I will say that this movie is not going to resonate with everyone. It, it is uh, pacing is going to be an issue for some people. As anybody who's listened to me for a while knows, I'm very okay with slow paced, you know, films, especially when they give us a satisfying ending, which, you know, I was very satisfied with this ending. You know, we get the the final culmination of what happens to everyone in the house, but then it's kind of a mystery what happens to our protagonist. You know, she kind of just walks into the deep, dark woods and the movie ends. And I like that, you know, because ultimately there might be some hope for her Her face is very I mean, we didn't even talk about her face, really, when the mask comes off. I the beholder. Uh, yes. Is that the one? Is that the Twilight Zone episode? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's exactly what I thought of when I first saw that. I'm like, holy shit. That's incredibly, uh, the Twilight Zone, the masks episode. I'm like, Jesus, it looks almost exactly. So I I did kind of like that. I almost, I almost wish they didn't show her face though, because, because I forget if it was Mike or Derek who made the point. When you see a woman walking around with a, with a mask like that all the time, 
the image that we have in our head of what she looks like is always going to be way worse than what we actually get. And it was this time, too. Um, I mean, because I'm thinking if she's if she's wearing a mask, then she might have like open wounds. I'm thinking I'm thinking like it's a medical thing. But it really just turned out to be more like a vanity thing. She just didn't really want her face, you know, exposed, even though she never leaves the house. She just felt more comfortable in the mask or whatever. Yeah, so, I, I think it has something to do with like the dad for because like, make me make sure you attain to it to put it on. Uh, right, that's right. Dad kind of that's right. He did kind of always egg her on to to keep it on, you know, even though she did take it off once or twice in the film. One time she took it off quite effectively to scare her potential face mate later, like uh, like I said, Edna Gruber before she's actually um before she goes through the facial removal surgery. Uh, they actually have like a really cool scene where she's in the operating room while, uh, you know, Edna's just kind of waiting uh, to, you know, to go through the procedure. And uh, yeah, Louise takes her mask off and boom, there's the fucking. Yeah, it's actually. I'm sorry, the... not Louise, Christine, Christian, Christian, my bad. Yeah, this is a fucking great scene where like uh, I actually just posted the Japanese poster of this movie. It's probably one of the best posters ever for this movie ever. On my Facebook. Awesome! I'll check it out. That's exciting. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, right. it's a great movie. All right, so it sounds like all three of us would recommend Eyes Without a Face if you haven't seen it. If you haven't seen it, sorry that we got kind of uh, deep into spoiler territory, but I mean, it's from 1960. Come on, this movie's older than I am, and I'm fucking ancient. So yeah. Hey. <laughs> all hey. right. Next on the docket, uh, we're gonna go with a slightly more modern film. We're going into 2014 now. This film comes to us from Austria, though it is in German. Um, I think they just speak German in Austria, right? There's no actual Austrian language. So, yeah, so we're 2014, <laughs> Austria. Uh, we're looking at a one-hour and 40-minute runtime. Uh, the American release for this film is September 11th, 2015. Oh, that's kind of sad. But anyway, our synopsis <laughs> is as follows. Twin boys move to a new house with their mother after she has face-changing cosmetic surgery. But under the bandages is someone the boys don't recognize. Now... I'm going to I'm going to say that this movie is one of many perfect examples of why I don't watch trailers. If anyone saw the trailer for Goodnight Mommy before they watched the film, they were given a completely different idea of what the movie was going to be. Watching the original trailer, it makes the mom look like the antagonist. They, uh, they they actually mm-hmm. edit certain scenes in the movie together that aren't in the movie together. But for the trailer, they, they'll edit them in a way that it looks like mom is like some kind of fucked up monster type thing, eating bugs and shit like that, even though yeah. nothing like that happens in the film. So um, as we said, you know, two boys, um, the synopsis says moves into a new house, even though we don't really ever get that impression in the film. No one ever mentions it's a new house or anything, but whatever. It is a gorgeous house, beautiful house. And of course, uh, mom comes back from surgery. Uh, I have a lot of issues with this movie b- because of plot holes, but we'll get into that a little bit later. But yeah, um, in my personal opinion, the second half, uh, the first half of this movie writes a check that the second half of this movie can't cash. Um, this movie is basically two films. The first half of the movie is a solid psychological thriller. 
It's all about the mystery. It's all about, is this really their mom? Because we don't know, obviously. We're, we're introduced to these characters as we're watching the movie. So, you know, we tend to kind of want to believe the boys that it's not their mom. But at the same time, we know we're watching a horror movie. So there's always that, you know, little kernel of mystery there. And it works for me. The first half of this film, I loved. I thought it was great. Now, mind you, I'm not saying I dislike the second half of the film. But the second half of the film really ramps up the violence and the torture and everything else. It pretty much almost completely abandons its psychological aspect until you get to the very final shot of the film, the very last scene. Then it kind of goes back to its psychological roots. But I, I just felt like the second half, as much as I loved the violence and all the torture, loved it in the sense that visually it looked nice. Obviously, I don't like the fact that this basically innocent woman is being tortured by her fucking sociopath child. And yeah, this is the second movie I've seen this weekend where it's literally just a sociopathic child that just, you know, you can't help it. Uh, the other one we'll talk about on fresh cuts tomorrow. So stay tuned for that. But yeah, this movie, I mean, this, this kid is, and I say kid, that might be a little bit of a spoiler. I don't, I don't know how spoilery we want to get with this one. Oh yeah. I, I got to bring it up. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we're going to kind of have to because it is a major part of the film. But basically, you know, they they mention that it's twin boys, Lucas and Elias, who are living with their mother. Um, You know, the problem is one of the issues I had with this movie the very first time I watched it is that you can pick out the twist five minutes into the film. Literally, the very first scene where mom is with the boys, I literally called it out. I'm like, oh, okay. It's so obvious because no mother would ever treat her child like that. Basically, we get a scene where the twins are in the kitchen and mom pours one of them a glass of juice, only one of them. And then the boy says, uh, Lucas wants a glass of juice, too. And the mom basically just says, well, tell Lucas to ask me himself. And she just walks away. And then Elias says to Lucas, you know, you should really apologize. So, you know, they're obviously setting up that there's some kind of tension between mom and Lucas. But instantly, I'm like, no fucking way. There is no way that a mother treats her child like that. It's one thing to be mad at your child. It's another thing completely to not feed or clothe them, which was the accusations that we were getting here in the film. So literally right from the first scene, I called it out. And if you haven't figured it out by now, just by that description... Lucas is not there. Lucas is fucking dead. He's dead the whole movie. Um, Every time we see Lucas and Elias together, it's just Elias's, you know, unreliable narrator element. Basically, he sees him, but no one else does. As you watch the movie, too, it just becomes more and more obvious so that by the time the twist actually comes, it's like, well, yeah, duh. And then that's it. There's no additional twist. Like I was expecting the first time I watched this, I was expecting an additional twist, figuring that the first one was so obvious that they're going to do something else like, oh, it's actually not their mom or, you know, you know, uh, dad shows up at the end for some weird, you know, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. But the point I came is back that, from hunting kids. Yeah, exactly. Something. I just got back from the liquor store whatever. But yeah, literally, (laughs) that is the major reveal of the movie is that Lucas is not dead. Uh, Excuse me, that Lucas is dead and that Elias is basically by himself, but that he hears Lucas's voice throughout his day. Obviously, Lucas is a representation of his psychopathy because this kid is fucked up. I think this kid was fucked up from birth because am I the only one that thinks Elias killed his brother? 
Yes. I 100% think he killed his brother. No, I agree. No, I agree yeah. too. Especially with the mom saying, you know, in that final scene, the mom yelling at him, uh, it wasn't your fault. You know, Lucas's death wasn't your fault. Mm-hmm. To me, that sounds like a parent trying to assure her yeah, kid that it yeah. wasn't his fault. No, it was. Even though it was his <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, I really, really enjoyed the first half of this film. Solidly a psychological thriller with a lot of mystery and some, you know, I, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say red herrings, but like little bits of information that make you think, hmm, maybe the boys actually are right. Like at one point they rubbed the mom's mole off her face. Like mom had a mole before the cosmetic <laughs> surgery. And then for some reason she has it removed during surgery, but then paints it back on. And after the boys basically decide to tie this woman up in a bed because they don't believe it's their mom, they actually rub the mole off her face. And I'm like, oh, shit, Uh, maybe these kids got something to it. Like, I was really hoping that there was something more to it, that there was going to be a secondary twist of some kind, because, you know. Like I said, we all see the twist coming right away from that first scene. It just doesn't if if you either are a parent or know someone who's a parent, you know that no matter how shitty they are, they're uh, they don't treat their kid like that. They're not going to not feed them and just ignore their complete existence to not even acknowledge them. So, yeah, it's kind of a weak twist. But, you know, the movie itself is still great. Like I said, I enjoy the first half more. The second half is where all the violence and torture and everything else goes. So all the, you know, all the traditional horror fans who just love the violence uh, are going to love the second half of the movie. Like I said, I really wish that they would have continued the psychological aspect. You can ramp up the horror in the second half, but keep a part of that psychological aspect at least until the very end. And then you can, you know, explain it all away or whatever. So This is a movie that I enjoyed. I'm not going to say I loved it. I wanted to the first time I watched it because I, you know, I walked into it maybe with heavy expectations because of all the great things I had heard about it. But I ended up just, like I said, really enjoying the first half. And the second half is still good, but just, I don't know. It feels like the second half of the movie kind of fails the first half a little bit. But like I said, that's just my opinion. I'm sure it's going to differ from others. So Let's start with Mike this time. Mike, what'd you think of Goodnight Mommy? Um, I am a fan of this movie as well. I recently talked about it on Summer Series. Um, and actually, you know what? When I say recently, that might have actually been last year's Summer Series. Ah! It's it's, it's kind of like getting hazy in my head. But um, yeah, I liked it the first time I saw it when you know it released back in, what, 2014? And I, I pretty much agree with everything you said. It definitely takes a tonal change from more psychological horror to, like, uh, actual just physically, like, body horror in a sense, you know? Yeah, visceral. Um, yeah. Visceral, visceral, yeah. Some brutal stuff going on. I do wonder, it's like, was that the the director's kind of admission that maybe the way we structured the story with the dialogue that the quote-unquote twist isn't enough to carry through the entire running time so we have to add other elements to it because yeah i I agree like even if the twist it could have got you on the first time watch just depending on Mm -hmm. being observant i I think where i agree that the, the twist is a little bit telegraphed where i would go back and forth on is is the the twin 
actually like present as a ghost, or is this just the surviving twins' delusions out of like guilt of likely murdering his uh almost like a Tyler Durden oh, situation? Yeah, yeah, I was thinking like, that actually. <laughs> Yeah, is it is it more that case where it's Hey Lucas, do you like Huey Lewis in the news? Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Um that's what I go more back and forth and that's what like every time I watch I try to pick up hints one way or the other to say whether his, you know his brother is being a vengeful ghost. But then I'm like but that also doesn't make sense cuz why would the dead brother even want to harm the mom when we find out that the mom was really not up to anything nefarious yeah, to begin exactly. with. So I think it's maybe the kid's just a damn psychopath in the making, and this yeah. is how it's, how he's realizing it. It's coming out, right, in this way. Yeah, because none of the overall, other adults, no other adult in the movie acknowledges Lucas. Like, the, the priest who picks them up after they try to run away never acknowledges cross. the brother. Uh, what's that? Uh-huh. The Red Cross the, uh, people. Oh, the Red that. Cross people, exactly. Yeah, they never acknowledge the second child. So that personally, you know, I could be wrong. But yeah, I, I think it's just 100% a delusion, Elias's delusion. It could be the guilt for what he did to his brother, though I do have a theory about that that I'll get into um, oh, yeah. after everybody talks about his general their general thoughts. But uh, yeah, go ahead and continue, Mike. Um, I mean, just to wrap up the kind of opening and general thoughts on it, I, I do think it's an effective movie. It's well done. It's There's tension throughout as you're trying to figure out the little nuance. I've always said that the mark of a good movie is that, or, or at least this type of movie, is that it doesn't 100% hinge on the twist. You know, so as opposed to something like The Sixth Sense, where it feels like that movie is really all about being built towards the, oh, my yeah. God. He he was what? Whether you <laughs> picked it up before that or not. Yeah, this here one, the whole time. <laughs> yeah, uh, this one. My thoughts on the movie don't go down, even going into the movie knowing that, and I'm I'm fine on repeat viewings. I, I still like the acting performance. I I think the yes. the child plays a great fucking cold ass fucking personality, um, and I think everything's still effective on multiple watches. Absolutely. So I'll leave it at that for now. And how cool is it that these are real life brothers that are actually named uh-huh. Lucas and Elias starring in this movie? I, I like that. I don't know if maybe they did that just so that the, the child actors wouldn't get confused when people called them by their character name. I don't know, but it, it's still effective and it works because for a, for a short time, I actually thought it was going to, it was one actor that was just doubled on screen. But once, uh, you know, they actually had more, interactions where they were actually like touching each other and slap, like there was the slap fight scene, shit like that. It's like, Oh, okay. That that's actually two actors there. And yeah, when you watch the credits, the very first credit, Lucas and Elias Schwartz or Schwarz, Schwarz, I think is how you pronounce it. But yeah, uh, I thought that was really cool. Derek, why don't you come in here? Elias, you know, fond of me lobster boy. <laughs> okay. Good night, mommy. This is like my, Fifth time watching this movie, and also my second time doing it on a podcast. Nice. Yeah, there. Good night, mommy. I did not like this movie the first time I seen it. It's hmm. a, it's a pretty it's pretty good, but I knew the twist fucking five seconds into the movie, and I just checked the fuck out because ah. fucking 
twists has been done to fucking death in movies. Yep. Since the fucking 70s. Exactly. You know, there's better movies that fucking did this twist better. Oh, my God. It's just lazy and it's fucking boring when you watch it. And, and yeah, you're the first half's a little bit more interesting. I'll give you that. That's why. That's where, like, most of the Del Toro esque kind of, like, mystery stuff starts happening. Where is she really eating bugs? Is she not? You know, it's like that shit that's <laughs> happening. That's a lot of cockroach imagery that kept me interested. I'm like, is this going to turn into a killer cockroach movie? I don't know. That'd be amazing. But then <laughs> it turns into, like, this kind of subdued torture porn where it's, they're using a fucking magnifying glass and ripping off house of wax with the super glue. Yeah, it's kind of boring. The second I just don't like watching people torture people. Yeah, like for me, the biggest thing is just the fact that this kid is just absolutely delusional to think that this woman isn't his mother. Yes, I understand she got cosmetic surgery, so she looks different. But this is this is one of the first aspects of why I'm going to say that this woman is a bad and selfish mother is that she didn't sit her boy down and say, hey, I'm going in for facial reconstruction surgery or cosmetic surgery, whatever. I may look a little bit different when I get back, but please don't be scared or think that it's not me. I mean, it seems like any parent would fucking do that, but sit them down just to tell them, you know, that I may look a little bit different, but, you know, it's still me, blah, blah, blah. That doesn't happen. Next. Who is supposed to be watching these kids when she was in the hospital getting the surgery? If anyone, if anyone was even watching these kids, they bolted as soon as mom got back. And mom is fucking, I mean, she's basically bedridden, you know, it, uh, uh, bandages all over her face. Within a couple of days, yeah, she's outside of the house doing housework and stuff like that. But, you know. I'm just wondering, like, who's supposed to be watching your kids? How can you be watching your kids if you're recovering from surgery? So that really bothered me about the movie, too, that she didn't take concessions for her kids going into it. And what the fuck goes all... up with that road? What's that? What the fuck goes up with that road? The road that they why... live on? Yeah, why is it all, like, bouncy? What the fuck? Oh, right, with the water underneath. Yeah, I was wondering, like, I, I've seen... Areas like that where, like, the grass is floating on a big thing of water, but, of it, like, if you break the grass, all the water kind of spurts out. But they were, it looked like they were, like, jumping on clay, like a clay road. Yeah. But it was, like, water underneath. Like, it's definitely nothing I've ever seen. You know, maybe it's something, you know, that's common in Austria or, you know, that part of Europe. I don't know. We're going to ask Arnold. Yeah. yeah. I, I roll in clay all the time over there. Exactly. Um, uh, let's see what else. Oh, the whole time that she's pretending that Lucas is still alive. I'm like, how do you think that's going to help your child? Like, why would you basically if this boy is a psychopath, mom may have created him because why wouldn't you just try to convince him? Look, Lucas is gone. You know, it was an accident. No one is blaming you, but he's not with us anymore. If you continue to say that you're talking to Lucas, people are going to think you're crazy. Like, to me, it seems like a normal thing that a parent would say to a child. Like, but yeah. but no, she lets him continue living in this um, weird because at first I thought Lucas was like an imaginary friend because, mm. you know, because mom, like I said, mom acknowledged Lucas, Lucas's existence. 
but not like he was standing there. Like she didn't acknowledge his presence, just his existence. So it's like, I thought it was kind of like, you know, how a mom will be like, oh, is your imaginary friend, you know, playing with you or whatever, blah, blah, blah. You know, when hey, it, it's all cute. Howdy. Uh, these kids are like, I don't know how old they are, but they're like, they're 12, 13, 14. I mean, they're, they're not exactly eight-year-olds with an imaginary friend. So that theory went out the window pretty fast. But yeah, um, the whole point is that this woman is an incredibly bad and selfish mother, not telling Elias, look, he's gone. You can't keep going with this delusion. Like, and, and obviously, mom is a TV personality. She's a talk show host in Austria. So, you know, maybe she's a little vapid, shallow, you know, whatever you want to go with. But it definitely I feel like Elias was a product of mom's parenting. Um, you know, I, I, I might be well, on a limb on that one. I also think there's like definitely some type of like grief and guilt going on with the mom too, because I think the fact she might know or have a understanding of like the circumstances that he killed his brother and it's maybe changed her as a mother too. And as much as she's trying to look at her, surviving son the same way maybe she knows there's something going on with him but she she almost can't bring herself to like acknowledge it either so there could be like dual issues going on obviously the surviving son's a goddamn monster from all we know assuming he killed the brother which we think he did but then there's also the mom who is almost she is the she is obviously the the biological real mom, but she's almost taking on another identity as well. Like the, the post my, one of my sons was murdered mom, which she probably has changed some ways as a mother because of that. And she's trying to deal with that grief and that trauma and still navigate how to be a mom to my son that likely murdered his brother. So I think it, it really kind of plays and tiptoes that line. And that's, that's why I say like, even knowing the twist, it doesn't a hundred percent like ruin. And I only want to say the fun of the movie because I wouldn't say it's a fun movie at all, but it doesn't ruin the, um, you know, everything we get in the running time, just the dynamic between characters. They're both trying to navigate something. He, he's obviously sick in the heads or has delusions that were, uh, causing his behavior but the mom's also dealing with her own shit because of the situation and she is likely always going to be a shell of herself um i guess until the end of the movie but let's say yeah basically she she is almost she, i wouldn't call her a fraud because she she's not purposely trying to deceive anyone but she definitely is a changed person because of the events so that's why i think the movie works in that way where even the viewer, it tries to trip us up. Like, well, is there something to what he's saying? Ultimately there isn't. But, um, I think the mother, the actress plays that part so well. Um, yeah. With her kind of standoffishness, because we, there's definitely is some dynamic between mother and son here where you're like, well, the mom doesn't seem all there. Like you venom, you pointed out kind of like how she, Reacts him or treats him in some ways, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, that's what I think. It's it's two flawed, broken characters for different reasons. Yeah, yeah it's kind of like the they're trying to navigate life. Valid. Yeah, yeah. Hi, Wacky did this 
better. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Piwacket did it better. Well, yeah, absolutely. Hell, Hellbender did it better. <laughs> yeah, Piwacket's yeah. fucking Burn and Burn of the Mom was pretty better, too. Uh, I'll go with that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, um, I have a couple of theories on how Elias may have dispatched of his brother. Um, now, I'm basing this on scenes in the film, and you tell me if it's a stretch or if I'm if I'm just being crazy. Theory number one. Do you remember the scene when Elias is floating on that raft on the lake, on yep. a little pond next to the house? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, he dips his head into the water. And then he pulls it out of the water and doesn't see anyone. What I'm thinking is the very opening scene, we established that the two brothers enjoyed playing hide and go seek because they, you know, we see them playing hide and go seek in the cornfield. What I'm thinking is they were playing hide and go seek in the water that day. And and I, I say this because if you look very carefully when he lifts up his head, when Elias lifts up his head out of the water and looks around, if you look at the background, we see bubbles coming out of the water. We see, we see like, you know, the traditional drowning person's bubbles, and then the bubbles stop. And, and Elias is still looking around. I'm thinking that might be an actual flashback. Like, that wasn't a modern-day scene, a present-day scene. I'm thinking that that was a flashback of when he when Lucas died, which would also explain why Elias thinks he's still alive, because he never actually saw him die. You know what I mean? I feel like maybe they never found his body. Maybe he, he might have drowned and, you know, got pulled out into the ocean or whatever the fuck, you know? Um, so that's one theory. The other theory I have is, is that he burned his brother to death. And I only base that on mom's reaction when she finds that lighter in his room. Remember, she gets really mad at him and she asks him, what are you doing with this? And he says, oh, I was going to burn some books like that's a valid reason for a fucking child to have a lighter. But yeah, instantly I'm like, oh, and then at the end of the film, how proficient was he with starting that fire? Like he knew that formaldehyde was flammable. He filled that tank with formaldehyde. And and then he knew that all of the curtains in that house were basically made of paper mache. They were like linen, like a really thin material. So I'm thinking this kid is averse with fire, and that could be potentially another way that he took out his brother. So, yeah, I'm thinking accidental drowning or purposeful burning. <laughs> Those are my theories. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we never get a confirmation in the film. All we hear is the mom telling Elias, it wasn't your fault. No one blames you, blah, 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 which you know, to me sounds like a parent trying to convince their kid that it wasn't their fault when it actually was. So, so yeah, this is a, this is a very, I don't know, polarizing film in the sense that going into it, I had heard such great things about it. And ultimately it is a good film. I don't want to sit here and make it sound like it's a bad film. I am solidly going to say that the first half in my opinion is just way better. Um, Mm -hmm. The psychological aspect of it is just so much more compelling than watching these two kids uh, torture their mother. But, uh, one thing I could say about it is if you're a fan of torturing people with crazy glue, this is the movie for you. So line up, my friends, because we get some awesome crazy glue torture in this fucking movie. Yeah, that'd oh. be great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's very, it's, yeah. Uh-huh. I think you used the word earlier, visceral. That's what is it. Nothing's played for comedy or absurdness or jokes. It's, it's very visceral what we do get. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I will give the this this kid credit. I mean, usually evil people are smart, and yeah, this kid is actually pretty smart. He sets up that trap, knowing that his mother would probably eventually get out of the bedroom, but he he perfectly set up that trip wire right outside the front door, knocking mom right the fuck out. Yo, Which, yo, there's legit like a Home Alone montage where he's just making weapons. Yep, yeah, that's right. They're they're taking <laughs> the uh, the suction cups off the toy arrows and sharpening them. Honestly, I, I'm glad they didn't do anything with the crossbow because if that was a toy crossbow, there's no way that it's going to be able to shoot the pointed sticks uh, hard enough to be able to impale someone. You know what I mean? Good night, mommy. They could have. Uh... I guess. Yeah. I mean, that's the movie, <laughs> but it, mm-hmm. it definitely uh, bothered me. So, I mean, yeah, like I said, there it is. Good night, mommy. 2014, a solid movie, I would say. Um, but. It just depends on the kind of horror fan you are. If you're more into psychological horror, you're going to like the first half better. If you're more into the visceral, you know, torturous parts of horror, then the second half is probably going to be your gig. But yeah, either way, well worth watching. And let's see how the American remake is. I mean, this is is a movie that actually has room for improvement. You know what I mean? This isn't The Ring, or should I say Ring Goo or Let the Right One In, where it's damn near a flawless film. This is a film that definitely has some flaws that the American remake could actually correct. So, fingers crossed that it actually does. We'll see. Plus, it is the queen of the remakes, Naomi Watts. Ah, again. Yeah, that's right. All right, gentlemen, any uh, closing thoughts on this one before we go? Yeah, yeah. Check it out. And watch the <laughs> lodge. Say- yeah, I would say check it out now with an extra bit of urgency, only because the American remakes floating out there now so don't be tempted to watch that one first even though naomi watts you know is great i'm sure she does a fine job but don't don't ruin the experience of the original exactly if they cut cut, like her titty out like in the house that jack built that could be amazing though (laughs) possibly i mean I, I mean, I hope they don't ramp up the gore. I mean, they might, but you know, it's, not, it's not a theatrical release, so they have a little bit more freedom. You know, they don't have to worry about an R rating or whatever. So who knows? You know, I, I might be hoping against hope, obviously. But, uh, you know, this is definitely an example where I am curious on what the American remake is going to do. Since this one, you know, like I said, we've kind of already discussed it. The, the The few flaws that the issue has, some character flaws, some storytelling flaws, things like that. It's a very good movie that is definitely imperfect. So that's pretty much so, the gist of it. So this is how the end of the remake happens. Uh-oh. It ends directly about the same way, but then Sadako comes and saves Naomi Watts. Oh, <laughs> twin. Finally got you. By the way, Naomi. I forgot to mention that scene um, after the fire starts with the firemen. Uh, did you guys notice that in the background? Um, after, after the fire starts at the end, there's a shot of the outside of the house. You see the Mm -hmm. firemen kind of running up. And then if you look in the background, you see what looks like a female figure in a yellow dress walking out of the house and then quietly walking into the woods. It's so subtle. Most people would miss it, but I have a big ass TV and I don't sit that far (laughs) from my TV. So I, I noticed it, but yeah, that I actually thought was cool. I did like that. I will say I hate the final shot of the film. Hate it, hate it, hate it. Doesn't make sense Happy. that 
Yeah, happy a happy family, family that happy. was murdered by one of the siblings. It's like, wouldn't the spirits be like vengeful ghosts? Like, I understand it's your son, but he fucking murdered you. <laughs> Why would you be all happy and smiles? Well, and I then the last question I have. Oh, go ahead, Derek. Oh, good. Well, um, I interpreted this. That was uh, Elias's deafening is entering. Whatever that's what I, okay. was in his mind. And that's um, that's my next and my next and final question for this one. Do you guys think Elias is alive? Do you think he walked out of that house, or do you think he just stayed there? Because there's no indication in the film that Elias lived. We never see him again until the cornfield scene when all three of them are together and smiling. Well, see, that's the that's the question is is the end trying to tell us that he survived and his delusion lives on now that he's right. now seen his dead brother and yeah, dead it's mom like eight Halloween or now. yeah. Or is he dead? And all three of them are like ghosts or something. Right. That, the second, your second option makes less sense to me only because of how they died. Because if, if Elias did murder his brother and we obviously know he murdered his mother, why would their spirits be happy with them? Like, if all three of them were dead, you'd think Elias would be going somewhere different than his mother and Lucas. You know? the, only explanation, the only explanation I can have for that is, like, if somehow they acknowledge he did it because he's sick in the head, and now maybe right. as ghosts, all right. three, like, okay, we're all finally at peace now because we're together or you, again. As or, or, you know, or you know how I would end it after that scene where it's like the Lord of the Rings ending of happy living gay together. Uh, you have a scene where the, the Hobbit the kids. <laughs> no, you have a scene where the corn from that scene is being shipped to Gatlin, and we oh, find God. out <laughs> that Elias is he who walks behind the rose. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Multiverse. That's interesting. It's an interesting thought. Yeah. Uh, hey, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be against it. That's for damn sure. <laughs> I love seeing movie so, tie-ins. Yeah, see, it's like that. It'll be like the end of a split. (laughs) (laughs) All right, folks. Well, I think that's the end of our episode. What is this? 47 or 48? I forget which one. 568. 48. 48 episodes. So we're two episodes away from the big one. The big, you know, uh, anniversary. Oh, big one, yeah. Yeah, Oh, I get the pick next, huh? Wow. Yes, and Derek has the next picks, which means that it's going to be a fun show. <laughs> Maybe. I I will say that Mike's last picks were awesome though. I can't take that away from him. Two yeah. great haunted house movies, so we'll yes. give him credit for that one at least one. That bought me that bought, brought me enough goodwill to make my next set of picks horrible. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's like, which West Craven movie could I pick now? See, did they do a sequel to Shocker? Hmm. <laughs> they did. It's called God. That's awful. <laughs> That's what it's called. That's awful. That's just the name of the movie. So let's go with that. All right, folks, let's uh, let's go around the horn and see what other people have uh, other shows that you can hear our uh, voices on. Let's go ahead and start with Derek. Derek, where can the folks hear you? No more room in hell. This episode going <laughs> to drop because this is the first thing I recorded in a few months. Well, on- yeah, you've had a busy work schedule, I know. And personal life shit. Yeah, yeah. But, now, some I mean, of your summer series episodes are out, right? Oh, yeah, summer series. Yeah, there you go. When me and Mr. Venom fight each other to the death. Yes. 
first we fight over Creep Show, and then I forget what the second fight was for. But yeah, who killed the child? Yeah, well, who could kill a child? That's true, because everybody was higher on the movie than I. Had I had that Blu-ray the first time, yes, I would have been a little bit higher on it as well. But I got to be honest when I do my reviews. You know, I I definitely don't want to ever fault a movie and give it a bad review because I couldn't find a good version of it. But ultimately, if it's the only time I've ever seen the movie, I still have to kind of voice that, that, you know, the experience wasn't great. And I said it on the show, I said it on Podcast Under the Stairs, that if I ever saw it in nice, crisp Blu-ray, that I would probably like it more. And guess what? I do. Thanks to Derek. So, yeah, I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just going to get everybody a Blu-ray copy so we can watch it. There you go. I love it. <laughs> Mike, where else can people hear you, buddy? Uh, obviously, we got the Fresh Cuts that's coming out weekly. If you're listening to this episode, then that means our latest Fresh Cuts episode on, uh, what are we doing this week? Uh, Pearl, Pearl, right? Yeah, oh. Pearl. That episode is probably already out and available, so uh, listen Egoth, to that. That's dirty whore. <laughs> got that's right. And the latest episode of Watch This Movie, Mike, I had Bo Ransdell as a guest. That should be out uh, either before this or within a couple of days of this. It's going to be a big week of releases for normal room and health stuff. So yeah, keep an eye on that. I actually wanted to have that one out last week, but just I, I got busy. So yeah, um, it'll be out soon. And what else? Eddie um, Coyle, Mike. I think we're close to releasing. Yeah, I was going to speak on that one. Crystal Lake gift shop. Okay, I'll let you. I'll let you take that. Yeah, Um, but yeah, I think that's it for me. I I have a couple summer series uh, episodes out, but those ones have been out a little while longer, so I'm sure people have heard. And uh, that's it for me. All right, for me, obviously, no more room in hell presents creature comforts. Our latest episode is not episode 12, despite the labeling on it. So if you do happen to, if you're a listener and you happen to see episode 12, it is not technically episode 12. Uh, Unfortunately, Derek had a little bit of a family emergency, so he wasn't able to join us. So Don and I decided to do a Fantasia Film Fest uh, special, basically a bonus episode where we reviewed, we did spoiler-free reviews for three um, kaiju slash monster movies that are being released Uh, either already have been released overseas or will be released later. Uh, We looked at, and we did look at one classic kaiju film that was actually a re-release and that space monster out of Korea from 1967. It actually predates Yangari by like a year or two. So when we reviewed Yangari and said that that was the first Korean kaiju movie, we were actually wrong because space monster was a thought. It was thought to be a lost film. Um, It, it, you know, no one had it. Uh, No one could find it, so they just accepted it as a lost film. But then Rob Bonk and the guys over at SRS Films were able to get a hold of someone who had a 35-millimeter print of it. Um, They were able to work out a deal because the person who had the film didn't really want to give it up. They kind of, for whatever reason, they just didn't really want it to have a commercial release or whatever. But um, basically, SRS, uh, SRS Films is going to have a limited window. They're actually going to release Space Monster from 1967 on DVD only, as most SRS releases are. And, um, you know, that'll be out for a limited window. I think it's like it's either like 60 or 90 days that they'll be able to sell that DVD. So uh, we, I don't have an actual release date. 
Um, and then the other two films we looked at are brand new films that are getting releases this year. The first one was What to Do with a Dead Kaiju, which um, is not a kaiju film, despite its title. It is literally a dramatic comedy about what the government of Japan does with dead kaijus. Like, you know, it's something that I've thought of, you know, since I was a kid. What do they do with these dead bodies, these gigantic yeah. dead bodies? And now we have a movie that kind of shows it. It shows it in a comedic way, but it's still um, a, a pretty entertaining movie. So check that out. And then the third movie we did on that episode is the one that I was the most, ex- uh, you know, expecting and the most excited about. And that is, of course, Shin Ultraman. And my friends, yeah, I- I'm going to go ahead and spoil it. Uh, Don and I gave it a glowing review. It's literally one of my favorite kaiju movies ever at this point. I fucking loved it. I highly, and I mean highly recommend, when that thing gets a U.S. release, it is a must-watch for all kaiju slash creature feature fans. you got to watch It's just the most beautiful man in a suit fights kaiju fights i've ever seen in my life a great compelling story um fans of the original series you know they know that the science patrol is a big part of it the science patrol in the movie is great i just i can't say enough good things about it so please check out shin godzilla and check out that latest episode of creature comforts available now the other title that i'm working on right now that i'm actually finished editing it i'm just kind of working on the artwork a little is our latest venture michael and myself have started the crystal lake gift shop and that is of course an episode by episode retrospective of the friday the 13th the series tv show that aired from 1987 to 1990 we've got three seasons of that show to uh, to look at and we went ahead and did finally recorded our first episode it's ready it's edited like i said i just got to put some final touches on the artwork and as you listen to this episode, that episode of the Crystal Lake Gift Shop will be available where, of course, we look at episode number one. And our guest on that episode is Mr. Doug Tilly, an old veteran friend of ours from Theme Warriors and various other podcasts as well. Uh, that will uh, that episode will be available as you listen to this one. So look out for that. That'll be on the No More Room in Hell feed, of course. Um, Derek already mentioned our guest spots on the podcast under the stairs where we I I think they just released those episodes like a week or two ago. The sixes, like I said, 76, 86, 96 and 06, um, which turned out to be some pretty fun conversations, some could some good back and forth, things like that. So check that out. That's on Legion podcast if you're interested. And I think that's everything I have, Mike. Okay, well, in oh, that uh, case, that's... What? <laughs> what, Derek? <laughs> um, I was just going to say, that's going to wrap up No More Room in Hell, number 48. We will be back sometime. I'm guessing where we are in the month. Uh, it would either be the very end of September or hopefully early October with the next episode, which will be Derek's picks. And unless he's already aware of them, then he will figure out what picks he wants for that episode and then let's see i mean october is always that fun month with halloween in it so maybe we'll do another uh commentary special uh at yeah. some point and release it in time for halloween at so, this point uh, we'll our, to... our halloween and christmas commentaries are almost tradition so 
Yeah, definitely keep up on that. Good. It's, it's great to yeah. get those, too, because there's no preparation. You know, it's not like I got to take notes and research the movie. We're just watching it and talking about it while we watch it. So things. I'm down. Yeah. I'm down for a Halloween commentary. Definitely on things. Oh. Yeah, I, we we got real lucky last year that I picked a movie that I didn't realize no one else but me had seen, but it, at least it was fun. <laughs> Remember when we did that one for Sleigh Bells or the fucking terrible movie was with Barry Bosworth? Hey. Uh, that was great. <laughs> I didn't hate that movie. I was drunk enough that I enjoyed it. <laughs> it was great. It was like the uh, so oh, come crazy. on, Santa versus Krampus. That's always a good time. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, All right. Well, with that said, we're going to get out of here. Thank you, everybody, for listening. But it is time to descend back into the lake of fire. We will catch you next time. Let's say bye to all our listeners. Goodbye with your eyes without a face. (laughs) Please don't get cosmetic surgery. Nothing good ever comes of it. Stay creepy.